Good morning, welcome everyone to the regular meeting of the Multnomah County Board of Commissioners. Audience members, I wanna um, start by asking you to please silence your electronic devices. I would also like to remind people that in addition to the audience in this room, we have people watching and listening online, so please consider your language and comments and testimony today. Today's meeting is a hybrid board meeting. Some presenters and guests will appear in person and some will appear virtually. For those presenting virtually, please mute your mic when not speaking. When presenting, make sure to unmute your mic and turn on your camera. For all presenters, please state your name for the record before speaking or responding to questions. As we move into the consent item, um, we had a request to postpone item C24 to Thursday, February 8th. May I have a motion on the remaining items on the consent calendar? Second. Commissioner Brim Edwards moves. Commissioner Stegman seconds. Approval of the consent calendar. Commissioner Beeson? Yes. Commissioner Brim Edwards? Commissioner Stegman? Aye. Chair Vega-Peterson? Aye. The remaining consent calendar is approved. So now we'll hear public testimony. I know we have a lot of people signed up today and we'll move through that. So Marina, can you please um, start that and let everyone know how much time they'll have? So opportunity for public comment on non-agenda matters. This is a time for the board to hear public testimony, not for board deliberation. When it is your turn to speak, I'll call your name and unmute you. Um, or call you to the presenter's table. I'll set a timer for two minutes when you begin speaking and announce when your time is up, at which point please wrap up your sentence. Uh, we received 15 verbal testimony and 40 written testimonies, which was shared with board members and staff. Um, I'm gonna check to see whether the folks who are online, I don't see them yet. So I'm gonna begin with in-person testimony. I'll call four people at a time. Please have a seat at the dais when I do. M. Maxine Fuchsen, Alexandria Salim, and Ron Werner. Please come forward. Good morning. You can begin. Good morning. Thank you. My name is Maxine Fuchsen. My professional nursing background and Jewish values inspire me to be here as part of this collective effort to call on Multnomah County to issue a resolution for an immediate permanent ceasefire and to call for the entry of all needed humanitarian aid into Gaza. This is an emergency and we have an obligation to act to stop it. I'm proud of Multnomah County's values and commitment around equality. By passing a ceasefire resolution, you can leverage these values for a global good. Each action on ceasefire builds on the next. Just yesterday, Chicago joined about 50 other localities that have passed ceasefire resolutions. The Council on Islamic Organizations of Greater Chicago said, quote, this sends a resounding message to political leaders across the nation that respect for innocent human life is a guiding moral principle for civilized societies, end quote. Local resolutions confirm what the polls show, that well over 60% of Democratic voters want a ceasefire. We need all levels of leadership to publicly support senators such as Jeff Merkley in calling for ceasefire and aid delivery. Last week, the International Court of Justice declared that there is plausible evidence that Israel is committing genocide in Gaza and that they must take all measures to cease these acts. 
But in the days that followed that ruling, Israel has continued bombing civilians, hospitals, and aid workers. And they have continued to restrict aid of entry of humanitarian aid. Our community here is broken in grief. On the local level, there is a connection between billions of US dollars spent on funding Israel's military and the chronic lack of funds to meet vital human needs locally. Please, we need a ceasefire now to fund our local services and the, the crises in this county. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate everybody's um, show of support. Normally in this boardroom we go like this so that, um, so that we can, everybody can know that people are um, approving of things, but it's, it's a little more quiet, so just so you know. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Alexandria Salim. I am a Palestinian American born in diaspora here in Portland where my family has built our lives and community. I am here representing four generations of my family displaced from our home village in Palestine since 1948, my two children being the youngest. I'm here today to emphasize the deep local repercussions of this global issue that it has had on our Portland and Palestinian communities especially, and to call upon Multnomah County to support the thousands of your constituents urging you to support an immediate and permanent ceasefire and the entry of urgent humanitarian aid into Gaza. Every day that the massive bombardments continue, our families are dying. Gazans are being denied the very basic essentials of life, leading to more unimaginable horrors of suffering from hunger, dehydration, and disease. I hear from my family of the unlivable conditions of displacement currently in Rafah, sleeping in the remains of bombed buildings, all without homes to return to, having lost everything, fleeing from the Jabalia refugee camp in the north that has since been flattened by Israeli airstrikes. As Palestinians, it is painfully clear that every day without a ceasefire, there is unprecedented loss for our communities in Multnomah County and globally. Your Palestinian constituents with relatives in Gaza have lost entire branches of their family. In October, my great uncle witnessed three of his children and all of their children, his grandchildren, killed. Soon after, he was too murdered in an Israeli airstrike. Two of his sons and their entire families were taken a week later. 19 of my family members have been killed in their home by Israeli airstrikes that we know of. They were civilians, all of which became so-called legitimate targets of the Israeli military. Every day that our representatives are silent, we, your constituents, lose more and more family. My family's story is mirrored by the countless other Palestinians in Multnomah County. Now is the moment where we ask you to speak out and join the other 50 local governments who have called for an immediate ceasefire. Do your part to introduce a ceasefire resolution now. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. Thank you, commissioners. Um, I'm Reverend Ron Werner, Jr. I'm a Lutheran pastor and community organizer here in Portland. I'm here today alongside people of faith and courageous love throughout Oregon who ask you to call for an immediate and permanent ceasefire in Gaza. My eyes were opened to the occupation in 2015 upon an interfaith delegation alongside Jews, Muslims, Christians, and a woman who was a part of the Sikh tradition, spending time with the people of Palestine and Israel. 
I remember meeting a boy who every day would pack his stuffed animals and bring them with him in his backpack to school because he was afraid his home would not be there when he got home. That's an image that has been seared in my mind as I tuck my own 10-year-old daughter in at night and line up her stuffies just so in order for her to take a deep breath and fall asleep. That ritual, that bedtime ritual, has taken on new meaning since October as countless children and parents have lost life in Gaza. My colleague, Palestinian Lutheran pastor Munther Isaac says this, we will rise, we will stand up again from the midst of destruction as we have always done as Palestinians. But for those who are complicit, I feel sorry for you. Will you ever recover from this? I wonder the same. How will we recover if we remain silent? If we continue to let our tax dollars fund this disproportionate response? How will we solve the, the biggest challenges closer to home, violence in our own streets, if we have no words to speak to the 27,000 people, many of whom are children who have lost their lives in Gaza? Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel, who marched with King in Selma, said, words build worlds. We're under no illusion that words like ceasefire mean abracadabra or hocus pocus and all of the problems go away when we say them. But I am convinced, as Rabbi Heschel was, that words do build worlds. It's a call forward. Words can stop bombs and disproportionate violence, giving a chance for us to find a pathway forward. Thank you. Please join the countless people of faith and the other 50 cities whose local officials have called for a ceasefire. Thank you. Our next testimony is online. Sarah Safti, I'm gonna go ahead and unmute you. You're gonna have to unmute on your end and you have two minutes. You may begin. Sarah, are you there? I think you have to unmute. Hello, Sarah, are you there? Okay, I'll come back to Sarah. Okay, our next group uh, is in person and we have Nael Sakar, Lori King, Nick Caleb, and Asma Taha. Please come forward. Good morning, sir. You can begin. Sir. You can go ahead and begin. Good morning. Good morning. My name is Nayel Seeker. I am a Palestinian American born and raised in Gaza City. Two months ago, I lost 39 people of my immediate family. My, my cousin Laila and her sister Rehab, along with their husband, children, and grandchildren, they were evacuated from their home, sheltered in the Baptist uh, hospital that was shot by a big rocket. Maybe it was paid by our tax money. 500 people was killed in the same incident. Two days ago, I lost another two people of my family. What's happening in Gaza is insane. It's not a conflict, it's a genocide. It's ethnic cleansing. It must be stopped. I'm looking for you guys. I appreciate that you put the ceasefire now immediately. 
it's an, it's it's really terrible. Every day I hear from my family that they have no food, they have no water. They boil that salty water and strain it twice to give it to their children. An immediate humanitarian aid has to be get in and people, 2.3 million people suffering every day. Politicians keep saying that Israel has the right to defend itself. Killing 27,000 people is not defending itself. Innocent civilian people. Using white phosphorus bombs is not to defend itself. It has to be stopped and it has ceasefire now has to be immediately done. Thank you. Good morning. I'm Lori King. <clears throat> My father and some in his family escaped from Nazi Germany. He then served in the United States Army fighting fascism. My lifelong labor, environmental, and anti-war activism was inspired by my parents and their Jewish values of life and justice. I'm one of thousands of proud American Jews calling for a ceasefire. Jobs with Justice asks you to endorse the resolution before you. Huge unions like the United Auto Workers and the largest teachers unions, postal workers, and SEIU, representing the majority of American workers, have called for a ceasefire. Very locally, AFSME 88 called for a ceasefire. Calling for a ceasefire is mainstream. This degree, this degree of union advocacy against a war that the United States is fully supporting is totally untypical, thus showing the horror that workers feel about how the people of Gaza are being treated. As an environmentalist in the coalition working on the CEI hub, I thank you for the report you commissioned on deadly toxic vapors that we can expect after the big one. Please think about how unprecedented thousands of Israeli and U.S. bombs dropped on Gaza bring not only death, but a toxic legacy that will be felt for generations from explosive chemicals, dust, and debris from destroyed buildings. Please think about the white phosphorus that Israel is using that is infecting the drinking water. Imagine how sewage is draining into streets because treatment plants cannot be operated. Gaza's environment is being killed before our eyes. Wouldn't Israeli security be better served if the United States and Israel were to stop the onslaught, let Gaza rebuild, and even help Gaza clean its environment? I ask you to join the mainstream of U.S. opinion, to stand for life, and to help let Gaza survive. Please vote for the ceasefire resolution. Se permanent ceasefire now. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning, Chair Vega Peterson and Commissioners. Uh, my name is Nick Caleb. I'm the Climate and Energy Attorney at Breach Collective, a local 501c3 nonprofit. I come before you today as a big supporter of the work of the county, particularly, particularly your ongoing commitments to climate justice and protecting the residents from dangers of fossil fuel infrastructure. I thank you for your efforts and humbly ask you to continue work with one another this year toward policy to protect Multnomah County residents. I also ask you to take action on an issue that, for many in this room, myself included, is the most pressing concern in the world right now, the continuing Israeli assault on Gaza. As you heard from Maxine, the International Court of Justice recently issued an order um, finding that it's plausible that acts of genocide are happening in Gaza presently. The court presided over by 
an American, Joni Donahue, a former advisor to Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, issued the order after hearing evidence, much of which you've heard today. In contrast to spin in the American media, many international outlets correctly reported the significance of this order. Israel must take all efforts within its power to protect Palestinians in Gaza from acts intended to kill, cause serious bodily and mental harm, prevent births, and deliberately inflict conditions of life calculated to bring about the physical destruction in whole or in part of Gazans. In immediate and flagrant contravention of this order, Israel, with the full support of the United States military, has continued to kill innocent people, destroy infrastructure, and cause mass starvation. I appeal, I appeal to your morality and your pragmatism in asking Multnomah County to join other 50 local governments across this country in calling for a ceasefire. We must stop these atrocities. They cannot continue without American support. And the only way that we can end our country's involvement is by continuing to collectively speak out and organize against these atrocities. Calling for a ceasefire is literally the least that we can do. And it is meaningful, and it does add to the collective effort to end these horrors. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning, commissioners. Uh, my name is Asma Taha. I am a professor of nursing and a pediatric nurse practitioner. I practice in Portland. Um, I am here in my capacity as a nurse. Um, in Gaza, the health system has collapsed as a result of the past four months um, of this assault. Where there is no health system, there cannot be life. I actively participated at the Children's Hospital in Gaza and dedicated the last 15 years to coordinating specialized medical care for children. In fact, I was supposed to be there on November 4th. I am Palestinian. And my personal connection to the ongoing crisis stemmed from my family's displacement during 1948, leading to their lives in refugee camps. I am here to advocate for you to pass a resolution supporting an immediate ceasefire and unembedded humanitarian aid to Gaza. As a healthcare provider, it is difficult to fathom that only nine out of 36 hospitals in Gaza are operating, and just barely. Tragically, many of my fellow colleagues, nurses and doctors, have lost their lives in airstrikes and targeted bombings of hospitals and ambulances. Ahmed Khalaf, a nurse, lost his life while caring for his patient. Asma al-Azhar and um, Dr. Alha is a physician, were killed in airstrikes to their hospitals. All three were innocent healthcare providers who are working to help others. The collapse of the healthcare um, infrastructure, coupled with the pervasive violence from the Israeli military, mass displacement, and a threat of widespread um, starvation and disease are inhumane and unacceptable. How can people live when there is no water, no food, no shelter, no medicine, and no sanitation? A ceasefire is not just a plea for humanity, it's an urgent necessity to hold this ongoing genocide. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Sarah, I'm uh, Sarah Safti, I'm gonna go ahead and unmute you. You're unmuted on my end, you just have to unmute on your end. Okay, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. You have two minutes. Oh, wonderful, thank you. thank you. Okay, I hear the suffering 
in the voices of everybody who has spoken so far. And it's hard to contradict anything like that. But what is lost here are two important things, I believe. First, we cannot try to put ourselves in the position of people like our government who aren't negotiating constantly to bring something about. I have family in Israel. I visited there for a wedding a month before October 7th. My cousin's son is in Israeli intelligence. He was one of the first responders ahead of the IDF on October 7th. I know that he saw heads of slain people that were hung in trees. There was incredible devastation. There was rape and sexual abuse, all of which have been documented. I am asking you to vote against the ceasefire resolution in order to give our government time to try to work with the Israelis, the Qataris, and so on, so that we can see a long ceasefire with good restrictions on activities, and more importantly, the release of the hostages. I don't even want to think about the conditions that they've been existing under. Again, I feel, I feel for the people. I ask you please to vote against this resolution. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, please keep your comments silent. Thank you. Okay, I'm gonna call the next group up. Uh, they're in person. Ned Roche, Curtis Bell, Jenna Sad. I'm so sorry, Sade, and Dr. Sophie Greenwald-Smith. Please come forward. Good morning. Good morning, you can begin. Me? My name is Sophie Smith. I was born and raised here in Multnomah County. I went to Lincoln High School. I live here now as a professor of women's health and global leadership, and I am here today because my grandparents survived Nazi concentration camps to have my mother who had me. This history lives inside me, and I bear responsibility now to urge you to call for an immediate ceasefire in Gaza. 14 of my family members were exterminated from great-grandmothers to small children. The names of our dead are inscribed on the Oregon Holocaust Memorial here in the county, along with my mother's as survivor. It is our cemetery because there's no final resting place for our people who perished in the Shoah. But now, for 118 days, I wake up each morning to new images of dead children, of dead parents, of dead elders, buried in the rubble, held in mass graves, or left shrouded on the streets of Gaza, all murdered with the tools of state terror, and this time with US-supplied bombs and bullets. I never thought I would grow accustomed to seeing such images outside of the Nazi archive. 
and I am horrified that my family's victimization at the hands of a murderous state is being used to justify the eradication of entire family lines in Gaza by a belligerent regime today. This is a perversion of politics to which I must answer clearly as a descendant of survivors to say, never again means never again for anyone. When it comes to what will keep us all safe from catastrophe, including our Jewish and Palestinian communities and everyone here today, I am reminded of the wise inscription on the Holocaust Memorial, which tells us that, quote, our precious life rests on the moral strength to believe in our common humanity and to act upon that belief. So I ask today, will we act now? Will we do our part with confidence to call for a ceasefire to protect the children of Gaza? Or will we be among those who stood by and did nothing while unspeakable atrocities are unleashed on our human community? History will judge us all for what we do here today, commissioners. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. <clears throat> Good morning. Hello, everyone. My name is Jenna, and I'm a Palestinian American, and I have lived here in Oregon my whole life, specifically Portland, Oregon. I am a daughter of a Palestinian refugee. In 1967, my father was ethnically cleansed from his village, Silat al-Dahar, in what's now called the West Bank. Now I'm married to a Palestinian man from Gaza, and we are making our own little life here in Oregon. I'm here today in support of the ceasefire resolution calling for an immediate and permanent ceasefire and humanitarian aid for Gaza. For 117 days, I have lived with fear and worry as my family in Gaza struggled daily to meet their needs. I saw my friends and family here, worried, an unspeakable darkness and fear in their eyes as we all saw the daily injustices, indignities, and losses our friends, families, and acquaintances faced. As I'm speaking now, upwards of 26,000 Palestinians have been killed in Gaza by Israel and over 65,000 injured. Homes, hospitals, schools, cultural and community centers destroyed. Over 1.9 pa Palestinians are internally displaced with their homes and livelihoods destroyed by Israel. Palestinians and our supporters have been engaging with our community for years through events and campaigns to have our city, county, and state end our complicity in violating the human rights of Palestinians. Now, the momentum of this movement has coalesced to demand that Multnomah County live up to its values of social justice, health for all, safety for all, economic and environmental well-being for all communities. During these 117 days, Portlanders of all ages and backgrounds have come out in these streets, rain, shine, ice, to demand a ceasefire now. Businesses have shut it down for Palestine. Portlanders have consistently and clearly demanded one thing, ceasefire now. With these values, there is no doubt that at the bare minimum, Multnomah County must support a ceasefire now. Thank you. Good morning. Thank you for holding this session. My name is Curtis Bell. I'm a past president of Unitarian Universalists for Justice in the Middle East, UUJME, and a member of First Unitarian Church here in Portland. UUJME is a national organization of Unitarian Universalists working for the human rights of all people in Palestine and Israel, both Palestinians and Jews. The basic principles of Unitarian Universalism include respect for the worth and dignity of every human being and a world at peace. <clears throat> Unitarian Universalists have acted on these principles. Thus, our organization has called for a ceasefire in Gaza 
Thus, the national leadership of Unitarian Universalist congregations in Boston has called for a ceasefire. Thus, a national organization of black Unitarian Universalists, Black Lives of Unitarian Universalism, has called for a ceasefire and an end to military aid to Israel. We ask you to do the same. The people of Portland are now paying $10 million each year in taxes as their part of the $3.8 billion in military aid that the U.S. gives to Israel each year. That number will be multiplied by four or five if the $16 billion promised to Israel is awarded. I know you can envision a much better use of 40 or $50 million here in Portland, dollars here at home, than in the killing of innocent Palestinians in Gaza and the West Bank. The International Court of Justice has declared that Israel may be committing genocide, that they must cease all acts that lead to genocide, and that they must provide the humanitarian aid that is so desperately needed. There is no way those goals can be met without stopping the war with a ceasefire. So I urge you now to support the proposed resolution and call for a ceasefire. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Ned Roche. I'm Jewish and know the most Jewish thing I can do is to urge you to champion this resolution. Four years ago, I taught in Gaza. I share Gazan voices that cry out to be heard. Omar said that after heavy Israeli bombings, his four-year-old asked, would it be possible to go back in your belly, mommy? Ahmed expressed, when I think about my children, I sometimes wish we hadn't had them, not because we don't love them, but because we love them so much. Raya told me that as bombs were falling, she asked her children what they would do if a bomb hit and they were the sole family survivor. She said she needed to know her kids had a plan. 1% of Gaza's kids have been killed in the past four months. Young Nadia told me, I sleep with a towel over my eyes so when the bombs fall, I won't see them. A Gaza psychologist explained, who knows whether the outside devastation from the Israeli bombs will ever be cleaned up, but the devastation in these children's hearts runs frighteningly deep. Standing on the ruins of his home, a man gave me the only thing that survived the Israeli bombing, his doctoral dissertation, a comparative study of Ezra Pound and T.S. Eliot. Perhaps what he was saying is that the one thing Israelis cannot destroy our ideas, not just about Pound and Elliot, but the Palestinian people after 75 years deserve justice. History will not judge most leaders kindly, but it will revere those who under pressure not to do so found the courage to say ceasefire now. Thank you. Um, next, we have Lightning, and one more call for M. Good morning. 
Good morning. My name is Lightning. I represent Lightning Super Creativity Humanity X. I've been asking for a humanitarian ceasefire for many months now. There's been no response from the commissioners or the chair. I've been monitoring all the resolutions being passed in other states for a ceasefire. There's been no response from the chair or the commissioners. Why is that? We need a humanitarian ceasefire now. The people in Palestine are not gonna starve to death. We need a humanitarian ceasefire now. We need all hostages released now. We need an end to this war now. Why was there never a resolution passed for a ceasefire or a humanitarian ceasefire? Why? Again, you've hesitated. You haven't taken any action. You're the Multnomah County Health Department. Why would you not ask for a ceasefire through a resolution? It needs to be done. The people that have come into this room today, I have a tremendous amount of respect for. And it's also the power of the people through the world that want a humanitarian ceasefire. It needs to happen now. You need to contact your president of the United States and ask for a humanitarian ceasefire and quit funding the military for this operation in Gaza. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, you can't applause in here because that's an oppression they want to put on top of you. Uh, Chair, that is the last of the testimony. Thank you. So, so before we move on to our regular agenda, I want to thank everyone for coming here today. Um, we really appreciate your advocacy and just recognize the, the deep um, and ongoing human suffering that is a result of this conflict. Um, the entire board has received um, the written testimony that also um, we received, and I know that will be read by everyone on this board. I do want to clarify that there isn't a resolution on our agenda today to consider, um, but I wanted to make sure that um, the board um, has a chance to acknowledge um, the folks that are here. So we have board comments at the end of the two agenda items that we have today where um, folks can, can really talk more in depth about this, but I did want to give um, the board members a chance to just acknowledge. Um, Commissioner Myron, we'll start with you. Yeah, thank you. Um, I. Uh, want to I, I do have comments that I will be making that are more extensive and that will be during our board comments so um, and I will post them on my website and I just want to thank every single person here today and um, appreciate your being here your speaking out you're sharing your personal stories of your suffering, your families, and um, I, my, my heart goes out to you. Um, and I will have more comments later, but thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Beeson. Thank you, Chair. Um, 
uh, Rabbi Herschel wrote after the murder of George Floyd that some are guilty, but all are responsible. If you believe in a world in which we all belong, then you believe in a world without war and without race or ethnic-based murder. I want to thank you all for using your voice to participate in our democracy, and I'll say more in my board comments. Thank you. Thank you. Commissioner Bermekris. Um, join my board colleagues in thanking everybody um, for coming today and also for those who had the courage and the bravery um, to speak and to speak not just for yourself and your families but for many other in the communities and I'll also have com more comments um, when we get to board comments. Thank you. Commissioner Stegman. Thank you, Chair. Um, thank you all for your moving testimony today. It was truly heartbreaking and horrendous, but we needed to hear it. And I'm grateful that each one of you had the courage to share your stories uh, with us publicly and all of the written testimony. Uh, I perhaps may not have comments at the end of the board meeting, but I do have comments now and I'd like to share those with you. The current conflict in Gaza has led can we, can we just, um, I, I want to make sure that. No. So, Commissioner Segman, I, I wanted to make sure, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I, I ask that you hold your comments um, as a matter of just, because we do have materials to get through today on the agenda, I, and I want to be fair to the entire board to make sure that everyone who has comments has the same opportunity to speak. Everybody will have a, ch a chance to speak, but I, I do want to make sure that it's, um, that everybody has the same opportunity during board comments. All right. Thank you. I, I protest, but I will yield to the chair in the spirit of collaboration with this board, but uh, in protest. I appreciate that. Um, I want to make sure that we have the same expectations for everyone, um, and I appreciate your um, abiding by that. So I, wanna, I did want to say we have the contact information for everyone who signed up for testimony today, as well as the contact information for many of the organizations that are represented in this room. Um, if you're able to, we'll update you on next steps if you're unable to stay through the next two board agenda items, but I welcome all of you to stay. I want to thank you again for your advocacy, and we, you will hear more from the board at the end of this meeting. Um, with that, we will move on to the um, agenda R1. R1, resolution to adopt a 90-day emergency to address fentanyl crisis. Commissioner Myron moves, Commissioner Brim Edwards seconds, approval of R1. So as we um, move on to our regular agenda, I want to start by saying a few words about bringing this declaration of a 90-day fentanyl emergency before you. I bring this for board consideration in the spirit of partnership and as a reflection of each of your leadership around the need for our response to Multnomah County's fentanyl crisis to be a collaborative effort with each other as well as the other governments that are engaged in this work. I know each of us has a great deal to contribute to the county response to this crisis. Some of us, like Commissioner Myron, have subject matter expertise in the healthcare spaces or engage locally and nationally in traveling to understand best practices from providers and experts. We have heard and seen the impacts of this crisis on our neighbors, families, first responders, healthcare providers, and people in recovery. All of us has prioritized a pathway forward to make sure the people of our districts and 
in the county as a whole can successfully slow the rate of death from overdose. Today's declaration helps us take a more comprehensive public health approach that prevents exposure to and initiation of fentanyl, reduces harms among people using substances, and increases access to outreach, treatment, and recovery services. I wanna say that with today's declaration, we do not start this work from scratch. As our local public health and mental health authority, Multnomah County has worked closely with people who use drugs for decades. We partner with community organizations, service providers, and state agencies across the four key areas of prevention, harm reduction, connection to services and treatment, and ongoing recovery support. This has been and must continue to be a community-wide effort. But with this declaration comes a new opportunity for coordinated urgency, for partnership, for response to meet the needs of our entire community. We also know that every approach to this work needs to address the inequity, trauma, and despair that drives must, much of the substance use within our communities. When I talk about the community and about this work, I am speaking about our entire county, from East County and East Portland to the West Hills and our unincorporated regions. This emergency gives us a chance to meet the ongoing and emerging threat and expand what we know works to every part of Multnomah County. This includes programs like targeted screening in our student health centers to identify opioid misuse, increased naloxone distribution and training, increased outreach, um, increased outreach visibility and coordination. Within our corrections health, we are engaged in transition planning and pathways to treatment and reduction of stigma through mentorship, support, and public education. My biggest priority in joining the state and the city in their declarations are making sure that the incident commanders develop goals, strategies, and metrics, and that they are all incorporating a public health lens and ensuring that this good work and these learnings were not just benefiting only the central city, but every part of this county. And at the end of the 90 days, I expect to see pathways for long-term sustained tri-governmental system coordination. This week, as we be begin doing this work in a new aligned way, I am committed to more directly connecting the work of every county department with these efforts. I am also committed to working closely with each of you in the county's efforts over the next three months in all the work that will follow. Now I'd like to thank the state's resilience officer, Jana Papavmithu, I'm sorry, Jana, um, for, for being here today in support of our resolution. And I'm pleased to have Rachel Banks, our health department director, and Leah Drevin, the lead policy advisor for my office on this emergency, to join me as I kick off today's presentation. Jana, would you like to say a few words before we begin the slides? Good morning, thank you so much. Yes, for the record, my name is Jana Papa Eftimiu and I am the Oregon State Resilience Officer and a Policy Advisor on Emergency Response for Governor Tina Kotek. And it is completely a pleasure to be here. Um, that testimony this morning reminded us there is so much suffering in the world and fentanyl and its impacts on communities are often such a discouraging topic. And I'm really happy to be present for something that I think has a sparkle um, of promise and hope. Um, I wanna thank Multnomah County for their partnership and their willingness to invest in additional collaboration, even at a time that your systems are stretched to the max. 
Um, and I'd like to especially appreciate the awesome, capable powerhouse women that you have assigned to work with us on this, obviously. Um, Leah, Rachel, Nisha, Jen, Alice, like uh, you've given us a top tier team and we met yesterday for the first time. Um, it was pretty exciting um, after so much that's been said and um, hashed and rehashed to see people just walk up to the whiteboard and say like, okay, what's working? And start to um, start to write out like, where can we focus? Where can we build? And um, it was just that sense of problem solving together with the state, the city and the county all in the same room. Uh, looking for gaps and looking for hope was awesome. Um, I also want to thank you for the work that came that led to that meeting. Um, there was a lot of uh, energy to ensure the declarations are in alignment, that we have a shared commitment to deploying our resources collectively in a coordinated way to get the maximum benefit out of all the energy and people, time, and money that we're already putting into it. Um, I know an important outcome of this work will that we establish and practice systems of operational coordination that can extend far beyond this 90-day declaration. I think the other important element is gonna be a focus on data, on having measurable outcomes, about sharing and using data that goes across platforms, across employers, um, to really inform decisions and help us see that we're making progress in a meaningful way. Um, as I said, Unified Command just met for the first time yesterday, so I want to give them a minute to develop their strategies and tell us what they think the meaningful metrics will be, but they will have the opportunity to make resource requests to support the strategies that they bring forward. And I know their experiences over the course of these 90 days will help us see what are the most promising approaches. They'll highlight gaps that we can address in the longer term, too. Um, in 90 days, we expect to see measurable improvement in downtown Portland and the basis for longer-term coordination and action based on shared experiences and joint success. So on behalf of the governor in Oregon, I want to thank you again sincerely for your willingness to partner, your contributions to the work, and your commitment to shared leadership for the benefit of people who are impacted by fentanyl, for their loved ones, and for the wider community. Thank you. Thank you, Jana. Um, Marina, can you move to the next slide, please? So um, I want to just talk a little bit. This is our agenda that we'll be walking through today and it'll be shared. I'll speak to some of the slides and then we'll have Leah and Rachel also speaking to some. Um, on Tuesday, January 30th, Governor Kotek, Mayor Wheeler, and I declared a state of emergency to address the fentanyl crisis in Portland's central city in Multnomah County. At that time, I issued both a statement of emergency to address the fentanyl crisis um, in Portland Central City region, region and in Multnomah County. Um, this is an emergency statement that I issued to act as both an emergency management agency and an emergency exemption. The statement of emergency authorizes the county to act as an emergency management agency and the emergency exemption coordinates the purchase of goods and services to address this emergency. Both of those can be found at the Multnomah County website, multco.us. Today I'm requesting that the board join me in taking action and declare a 90-day emergency under Chapter 25 of the County Code. Before I seek my fellow board support, I'm going to share more about the background of this resolution, the accompanied unified command that we are standing to support this initiative, and the county's goals, objectives, and approaches that we can bring to this tri-governmental effort. 
because while the board through their chiefs of staff have been briefed, I want to ensure that our community has the opportunity to hear the same information. Marina, can you move to the next slide, please? So the recommendations to declare a 90-day tri-governmental fentanyl emergency came from the governor's Central City Task Force Community Safety Subcommittee. The committee recommended both a 90-day emergency declaration and the establishment of a command center in the central city focused on enhancing coordination among the state, county, and city. The state, county, city, and this board recognize the urgency to act with shared leadership and respond to the very human toll fentanyl is taking. I know from many of our discussions that declaring this emerging has been, emergency has been a priority for you as well, and I am appreciative of your leadership. Because we know that despite past actions, we have seen fatal opioid overdoses increase five-fold from 2018 to 2022, including a record high 209 people in Multnomah County losing their lives from overdoses involving fentanyl in 2022. We know that many of these deaths are due to the changes in potency of substances and the methods of substance delivery. We also know that these deaths are compounded by social factors, including increased isolation, economic challenges, housing shortages, instability, and systemic racism. It is so important that we step forward with the state of Oregon and the city of Portland to quickly establish better systems of coordination to reduce fentanyl deaths and fentanyl activities on our streets and in our communities. Next slide, please. In conjunction with the declaration, the state, county, and city established a unified command to focus on identifying and building coordinated efforts and systems to address fentanyl in more collaborative and streamlined ways. I'm pleased to announce that our incident commander will be Multnomah County's former health officer, Dr. Jennifer Vines. We are thrilled to have Dr. Vines back at the county to help lead this effort and contribute her wealth of knowledge and expertise to this work. In addition, we have Nisha Saxena supporting Dr. Vines as the Deputy Incident Commander for the county. The other incident commanders include Nathan Reynolds from the state and Mike Myers from the city. While the Unified Command works to establish unified objectives and strategies, we have Rachel Banks here to share about the county's approach and some of the goals and objectives that we can bring to this effort. Before I turn it over to Rachel, I want to reiterate my commitment to a one-county approach to both the county's emergency declarations and the unified command strategies. While the Central Cities Task Force recommendations were specific to the Central City of Portland, the county's emergency declaration supports all of Multnomah County. We have already identified departmental and office leads for the unified command to coordinate as necessary, including leads for the Joint Office of Homeless Services, the Department of County Human Services, the Department of Community Justice, the Department of County Assets, the Health Department, the Sheriff's Office, the, the District Attorney's Office, and more. It is only together as one county and side by side with our partners that we can address this emergency with the, in, the urgency and the coordination it deserves. With that, Rachel, I'll turn it over um, to you to go through the next few slides. Thank you, Chair. Um, and Grand Rising, Commissioner Myron, Commissioner Beeson, Commissioner Brim Edwards, and Commissioner Stegman. For the record, my name is Rachel Banks. I use she and hers, and I'm your Health Department Director. Um, it's a pleasure to be here with in front of you all this morning to talk more, as the Chair said, about our countywide um, and health approach, really taking a broad approach to this um, issue. 
And it's important to take that broad public health approach for a number of reasons, but this is an approach that really engages every corner of the health department and the county. It includes our clinical services, it includes our community-based services, it includes things that we do in corrections, it includes expertise from behavioral health fields, criminal justice fields, uh, public health fields, really knitting them all together for maximum impact and uh, collective impact. I want to say, sitting here in front of you all, um, it just really reminds me of what drew me back to working in Multnomah County, is the ability to work across and create these broad umbrellas, uh, both clearly in the health department, in the, but in the county, where these extremely brilliant people that I get to work with uh, every day bring forward their full mission and can really see how we all contribute to a collective issue. So the comprehensive uh, approach is important for um, clearly a number of reasons, namely that we know that this crisis will not be solved in 90 days. Um, we're both moving forward with a sense of urgency, but also we have been and will continue to be in this for the long haul. Uh, I wanna clarify that when I talk about a public health approach, I do not just mean the public health division or just the health department, um, but I really mean uh, about five things that I think of of what a public health approach brings us and allows us. One of them is you could substitute public health for population health, and this is an issue that Im impacts the entire population, multiple different groups. Uh, there are probably very few people in this room or uh, on the board who have not in some ways been touched by the impacts of fentanyl, overdose, um, or other addiction issues. It is an issue that touches uh, people that we love in all sorts of systems that we work in. So really taking that um, approach, that population health approach is necessary because this is a challenge that we cannot solve alone. Secondly, really thinking about a comprehensive uh, approach. For us, that means from prevention, including primary prevention, um, all the way through interventions and ultimately recovery. Uh, that also includes what we call the life course approach and intervening in key areas and key points in people's lives. So that means that we are working both to prevent, mitigate adverse childhood experiences, working in our early childhood population, supporting families, supporting adults, um, adolescents, and people as they're entering correction systems, for example, or um, using substances and so on and so forth. It's really, uh, Public health approach is person-centered, trauma-informed, and understands that um, everybody is deserving of care and services, that we can uh, continue to inspire hope, and that the situations we're in, in part, are results of the environments that we're in and the systems that we're um, exposed to. And finally, uh, public health approach gives us a keen and consistent and persistent focus on health outcomes. That we're ultimately trying to reach these health outcomes, some of them which take uh, quite a while, but we continue to uh, measure outputs and move towards strategies that get us there. So this approach is also needed because as mentioned, substance use is an extremely complex issue that is impacted by a variety of factors. Those include personal, community, and family trauma. Those include generational um, patterns of addiction. They include economic factors, uh, other injustices, and they include discrimination, oppression, colonialism, and the impacts that that leaves um, year after year, generation after generation on communities as we've heard today. 
So again, this issue requires a comprehensive approach because we need to be addressing the root causes, also acting in urgency and creating an umbrella of strategies and interventions. So with that, our overarching goals in this 90 day period and beyond are to slow the rate of overdose deaths. Ultimately, we wanna end those. Ultimately, we wanna decrease those. Um, and we know that we have seen increasing trends and so we need to slow that rate on uh, our mission to eliminate that. We're going to do that by preventing exposure to fentanyl in this case, and also um, preventing initiation by young people and other folks to substances um, in general. We're gonna do that by reducing the harms for people that are using substances, uh, reducing many harms, and this also includes reducing overdoses and to increase access to outreach services, treatment, recovery, ultimately, um, so folks are reintegrating into thriving supportive communities. Next slide, please. Thank you, Marina. So to talk more specifically about um, the objectives, and I know I've met with each of you all and discussed these objectives and solicited uh, impact towards these objectives and strategies. These are in um, the health department's overdose prevention and response plan, which is really a launching point uh, for the health department and also uh, a rallying uh, point or bridge to the larger county efforts. But this is what people in our community will see in the next 90 days. Uh, we will be launching a couple of communications campaigns. So um, that includes a youth-focused campaign, and which is really meant to raise general awareness and also talk about the risks of fentanyl, particularly for young people, in the mediums and modes in which they communicate. We will also be distributing um, naloxone and providing trainings um, really through a cohesive plan to increase uh, and distribute naloxone both in county buildings and other community settings. This will include the hiring a new position of a naloxone resource specialist. It will also include distribution um, and, a, and a sort of relaunch to get more people engaged in what our federally qualified health centers um, already offer and the pharmacy dispensing of naloxone. We wanna make sure that people understand that and understand that's a resource to them. And looking and working with our partners um, to expand training for naloxone and uh, overdose response for people in our community. We will also be increasing the visibility and coordination of a lot of our outreach services. Some of those include PATH, um, Old Town InReach, our mental health care continuum, coordination work, and harm reduction teams. This is all work that has been happening. These teams um, have been working, but this provides a coordinated, uh, an opportunity to be coordinated and, and collaborative, particularly in a specific geographic area. It allows us to partner with additional programs throughout the county um, that have uh, proven success success and track records and ultimately to coordinate with the state and our city partners with their um, outreach programs again. So all of uh, these are really once again working across four areas uh, in the plan which are prevention, harm reduction, treatment and recovery and that um, is the umbrella that we will continue to, to work through as well as our substance use addiction and treatment continuum. So we can move to the next slide. So additional um, outcomes and uh, objectives that we will be working towards is the oper 
I'm going to say it this way, not the operalization, because that sounds hard, um, but to opera <laughs> operationalize coordinated outreach, such as the programs that I mentioned, um, but also to really be working through things like Corrections Health, those transition services, and connecting the dots um, to our other programming. So this allows things like warm handoffs when someone's leaving Corrections Health, uh, for example, to be connected to primary care through our federally qualified health centers or through our harm reduction services. This includes things like adding a dish, the distribution of harm reduction kits through our community health centers, the federally qualified health centers, uh, outreach van. This includes connecting the behavioral health resource center van to other services. And this includes the um, continuation and ideally expansion of the pilot with the Portland Fire Bureau for their chat team to have um, buprenorphine and, and mobile access <clears throat> to overdose response. You know, as will be said um, and has been said, we know that the issues that we're facing are long-term and will take um, both immediate action and upstream strategies. And so to that end, we will be working um, with Oregon Health Authority, with the state of Oregon to be identifying policy, um, practice, strategies that are really meant to eliminate the barriers um, to getting folks in the, the needed workforce, but also to increasing treatment um, services. And finally, we will be uh, issuing briefs and providing data on a number of things, including overdoses and um, studying and looking at the impacts of our strategies, ultimately to make sure that we're achieving the intended impact of our strategies and being mindful of what those other impacts will, uh, may be to avoid unintended impacts. Um, so with that, I'm happy to turn it back over to you, Chair. I'm sorry, Chair, is your microphone on? Thank it is you. not on, thank you. Um, so I was gonna say one of the through lines for this board, I think, is our shared um, priority to reduce the suffering of people who live in Multnomah County, but not just to reduce their suffering, but really to create a county where people have the opportunity to, um, to reach their potential to thrive and that they have the support that we can give them to do that. We know that addiction is a chronic disease. We also know that with the right treatment, people can and do recover. This declaration will help us meet people where they are and get staff and our community the support that it needs both today and sets us up for that intense work tomorrow. A lot of work went into ensuring the alignment between the state, the county, and the city's declaration. I appreciate the work of um, staff, not just at the county, but at the city and the state who did that. Um, I ask that the board you know, recognize the alignment and as we work to follow through on the um, Central Cities Task Force recommendations. Um, I, I also want us to recognize the unified command process. It will be the unified command who identifies the objectives, the metrics, the resource needs, and the resource requests. Um, this de declaration as it's written is what the state, the county, the city, and unified command needs and has commitment to moving forward. It also recognizes the past board support for an emergency declaration in Multnomah County, and with today's vote, will initiate our declaration and expand its impact by ensuring that the county's coordination is with the state and the city as we, as we move forward the response. I appreciate this board's commitment to this work and the desire to be involved. 
I will make sure that county representatives to the Unified Command meet with board members to continue discussion and to continue update our board regularly on the group's progress. Um, we are gonna have time for board um, questions and comments, but before we do that, I wanted to just see if there was any public testimony for this item. Um, yes, Madam Chair, we have two people signed up. We have um, Charles Birchkin Johnson and Lightning. Okay, so um, Leah, Jana, and Rachel, don't go far. There might be some questions for you. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, Salam alaikum wa um, Unfortunately, uh, this process is pretty discouraging for those of us here who wish we could have already had a long-term permanent ceasefire for Gaza. The reason is, is because uh, we exist in time. We're about 400 days in since your inauguration, Madam Chair. We're about 400 days in since the inauguration of Tina Kotek to be governor. And now we finally have a 90-day emergency uh, to uh, not really talk about what's happening. So what's happening is some militant, violent, lethal capitalists are preying on our community. And we're debating whether we should give those people a pass because they happen to be in Sinaloa, Mexico and in the People's Republic of China. Definitely people deserve care. We need to have more and more inpatient treatment beds. We need to have an honest discussion about success rates for inpatient treatment and outpatient treatment, we need to say how many people we think are currently in active use and how are we gonna scale the capacity to meet that. I didn't hear any of that in the discussion of the 90-day plan to stop fentanyl with some happy face stickers. In this community, we uh, expend, many of us would say waste, one quarter of a billion dollars to fund the Portland Police Department. As uh, Commissioner Brimedge has discussed, what the Portland Police Department does is it arrests supposedly large-scale fentanyl use distributors, and then our criminal justice system releases them the next day. The only reason they come back into custody is because the feds are half-assed paying attention. So uh, very few people are gonna be saved from the traumatic effects of fentanyl addiction unless there's some kind of plan for a two-prong approach to actually say we want to reduce supply. Um, we had some hopes about defunding the police. The police budget is where it's at. So maybe we can only hope to say Go up the chain. Um, a lot of this is focused on downtown. This is hard for me because I was just out on the 205 multi-use path. So it sounds like we have a plan to relocate fentanyl use there. I mean, I cannot tell you how many pieces of foil covered with the goo uh, I picked up and saw people in active use. So 
Uh, I hope there's some more to this and some real numbers now before the 90 days is over. And uh, 90 days, since we don't have any you, penalties, Charles. we don't really need to sunset the emergency. Thank you, Charles. Next is Lightning. Yes, my, my name is Lightning. I represent Lightning Super Creativity Humanity X. Now again, I'm in full support of the state of emergency declaration. And I asked for that many months ago. And again, there was no response. So I'm gonna <laughs> talk directly to Governor Kotek, who I'll use the motto, a governor get, that gets things done gets things done, and that's what you want to be recognized about, especially as commissioners or the chair. You want to have people sitting here and saying, you get things done. Now, that being said, I was kind of surprised, and, and I'll say this directly to the governor, that you didn't invite my good friend, President Peterson from Metro. I mean, governor, let's face it, they passed the supporting housing services measure they passed the affordable housing bond, so why aren't they at the table on this? And as you know, Governor, Metro right now is trying to siphon money away from that supporting housing services and transfer it to the affordable housing bond, which I may not agree with at this time because of this fentanyl crisis. And we need to focus that money more in the directions such as Commissioner Myron on the Crown Plaza when we're talking about recovery housing. Treatment and recovery housing is imperative. You cannot treat people out on the sidewalks and then let them go back to the cold sidewalks every night and think you've accomplished a tremendous amount. It is not long term. We need them in the treatment facilities, recovery housing facilities, and we need the funding to purchase Crown Plaza. And Governor, which I'm talking to, who gets things done, I'm asking you again, with your power that you have as the governor, to transfer funds from the county, from Metro, and to put it into Crown Plaza which will be one of the best investments for the people who are currently on fentanyl. You need to get off these cold sidewalks. You need to get off these cold streets. We need to get you in a place where you will be taken care of and we will help you with your addiction. This addiction is getting the best of a lot of our good community members. You are good people who we do not want to see die because of fentanyl. We want you in recovery housing. We want you in treatment. We want you in our communities. We want you in our neighborhoods because you are good people and you are our community members. Thank you. Marina, did we have any other folks signed up for public testimony on this? Um, uh, no, uh, I didn't receive a public testimony, but. that it was full and they couldn't sign up, so I don't know if there's 
If anyone's still here who would like to testify on this, this is your time to come forward. Yeah, please come on down. I'll just ask when you're done to fill out a form so that you can. There may have been some confusion between if they were here for non-agenda and agenda testimony. And the forms are in the back. Um, you can see Tasia in the back to fill them out. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, uh, Chair Vega-Peterson and commissioners. My name is Crystal Delahanty, and I'm the founding executive director for PDX Saints Love. We are community health workers and peers addressing social determinants of health in East Portland. I am also a person in long-term recovery, specifically celebrating 11 years from a 20-year heroin addiction. I was grateful to see this emergency order focused on our current fentanyl crisis, but as I watch, as I watch our people die on these streets, but it seems only focused on Central City, leaving East Portland behind again. March 1st, we are opening a day center in East County where we will focus on addiction crisis through collaboration and purpose. Because of my own life, purpose kept me clean farther than punishment ever did. Our center will offer workforce development and emphasizing not only per professional growth, but personal and emotional growth through social occlusion and belonging. We are committed to overdose prevention and working towards sobriety through education and belonging. We implore you, sorry, to extend this order to all of Multnomah County and not leave us behind that we emphasize purpose and not punishment while addressing this crisis, and that you can, would consider to collaborate with us already doing the heavy work in East County for seven years. We have so much hope for our city, but we need you. We have to do this together. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning, Chair Vega-Peterson and commissioners. I'm Sarah Fisher. I'm an Episcopal priest and street chaplain in East Portland. I'm also the new community engagement and care coordinator for PDX Saints Love, and I'm here today in that capacity. I believe that every life is sacred and every person is worth saving. I'm here for my friend Ailita, whose son died last Sunday of a fentanyl overdose. I'm here for our friend Sassy, who died last night on the corner of Southeast 82nd and Ash. I'm here for all of the people who are dying suddenly or slowly from this epidemic. This resolution is just the first step in what I hope will be a committed journey, what I know will be a committed journey to providing prevention and continuing care through, throughout Multnomah County. I commend this board and this declaration. In your deliberations, please consider the words of Ronald Reagan. There is no limit to the good that you can do if you don't care who gets the credit. I have two particular concerns. The first is that we be careful not to treat the overdose epidemic with punishment. Criminalizing addiction is inhumane, expensive, and counterproductive. The second is to make this state of emergency countywide. I know that you spoke to that, Chair, and it's, I continue to be confused when I listen to the presentation about the focus on Central City. Our friends and neighbors are dying all over town. PDX Saints stands ready to partner with Multnomah County in the work of addressing this emergency. We plan to open a new day center, which Crystal talked about. Overdose prevention is a cornerstone of our work. 
We're going to invite all of you to lunch very soon to learn more about this project. Again, we are here to partner with you and we will be following up with your staff. Together, we can do this and much, much more. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. Hi, my name's Tim Larson and I have a unique uh, position because I drive Lyft uh, three nights a week and I never know where I'm going next. It just depends on where the passenger is going. Uh, because of this, I have been to every street and every neighborhood around Portland and the amount of drug usage and the amount of people laying on the sidewalks literally laying on the sidewalk with only a blanket on them um, occur every single night and in every corner of the city there are people smoking fentanyl on the street corners there's a plaid pantry out on halsey that is an open-air drug market uh, if you drive by there anytime and, and take a look you'll see money changing hands and little packets being traded um, i hope that this emergency declaration is not just another one in a list of uh, publicity gathering uh, paper writing with absolutely no results like all of the ones we've seen from the city of Portland and some of the ones from you folks yourselves. This uh, as has been carefully and fully documented is a problem of historic proportions. Nothing like this has ever happened here before. Hopefully nothing like this will ever happen here again. But it's up to you and the people who you have spoken about this morning to actually put into motion the wheels of progress towards solving this problem and helping the people who are dying on our streets every single day. Thank you. Thank you very much. Is that all for the public testimony? Uh, that's all the public testimony, yeah. Thank you. All right, so now we will go to the board, see if there are any questions. So I invite Leah and Jana and Rachel to come back up in case there are questions. Um, and we'll start with uh, D2. That's me, I'm D2. You I always D2. forget. <laughs> I should say commissioner. <laughs> uh, well, uh, thank you all for the presentation and thanks uh, to folks for the public testimony. Uh, and I wanna recognize uh, Commissioner Myron for for calling for um, this type of emergency declaration for a while. I recognize that the, um, the declaration is focused and kind of came out of the downtown task force. And you know, every, I have a second job, another job, and every day I pull up in my $60,000 electric vehicle in, a, in my surface parking lot at our building that we own, and people are, are smoking fentanyl. And on Tuesday, a young man died just outside my window. I get the attention on the central city in some respects, but I'm wondering if you can talk about how does this, how does this um, declaration tie in with uh, the larger county effort um, in terms of uh, our response. Yeah, go ahead. Thank you for that um, question, Commissioner Beeson. I would say 
that the work that we're doing is countywide. Uh, as the chair mentioned, I think, you know, certainly there's there's um, interest and in, in collaboration with the um, city and the state around uh, that area, but the efforts that we are carrying out in the health department really are countywide. We have these services that uh, are crossing every area of the county, and that's part of the way that we're looking at um, information and data just is in terms of demographically, what are the impacts, as well as geographically, what are the impacts? So the um, overdose prevention and response plan that we've shared uh, is really countywide. Thank you. Mm -hmm. um, just two other quick questions. I saw today the uh, state released its uh, report on the need for at least half a billion dollars into the treatment system uh, to cover our current gap. So I recognize in 90 days we can't solve it all. But I, I'm wondering sort of how you all think about um, What's the process you, you see going through to help identify that prioritization work, knowing we have such a giant resource gap and workforce gap? You can talk about unified command process. Yeah, oh, um, let's see. There's uh, the needs across the entire county and really the entire state are so tremendous. And I think our hope in the declaration of the 90-day emergency is to focus on, um, and is not to diminish those needs at all, um, but to focus um, our resources in a small enough area that we can um, get um, get real-time metrics, that we can really be having face-to-face -face every day with the people that are doing the work, and that out of that effort, we will we will identify those strategies that are most promising and that we can expand uh, more broadly, um, and also where there are gaps that can certainly cannot be filled in 90 days, but that will highlight um, to us and give sort of data and energy and a shared understanding of where we need to make those long-term investments. Okay. Uh, last question. I want to start with a little bit of a story. My first and only girlfriend, it turns out, in, in college, <laughs> uh, we were talking one day and talking about drugs, and she's like, well, I've done cocaine. I've also done, like, cocaine where you mix it with baking soda and then you smoke it. And I was like, oh, yeah, crack. She's like, no, that's not crack. I'm like, girl, that is crack. I know crack. That is crack. She's like, no, that's not crack. You can probably guess she's white. Where I'm going with this is the... the the, ra the racial and ethnic disparities we see and have seen in, the, in our public, uh, both safety and public health approaches, I do not want to repeat, um, whether it's about race or other kinds of identities. How do you see going about y using metrics and using approaches to help uh, get at that? Yeah, thank you for that question and that story, um, <laughs> Commissioner Beeson. A, a couple of things. One is, as I talked about, one of the, the hallmarks of a public health approach is that focus on outcomes and, and especially towards the elimination of health inequities. I think looking at data and understanding where those racial and ethnic uh, inequities are is important, but also understanding um, as, as we you know move forward in destigmatizing um, use as well that whereby we see differences, it's not differences in the amount of use by, uh, you know, take opioid use for example, there's similar rates of opioid use across racial and ethnic uh, groups, but it's the mortality rates. And so I think, you know, part of it, I just wanted to, to put that out there um, because I know that we're dealing with something that can, can where a lot of stigma can be attached and that's part of our efforts uh, 
um, to one of those those campaigns that we're going to launch is really an anti-stigma campaign and really focusing on recovery and treatment. But I think understanding the data, um, taking an approach that understands how the experiences of racism, discrimination, colonialism, systemic um, impacts, um, encounters in various systems that also are, are, you know, have those inequities baked in as part of our um, understanding and the way that we approach things. And I think we also have multiple um, culturally specific services, whether that's geographic culturally specific, whether that's racial and ethnic, whether that's sexual orientation and gender identity that are really meant, um, and that's across our behavioral health system, our public health system, uh, our clinical systems to really focus on those communities and the needs that they have. Thank you. Welcome. Those are my questions. Thank you. Commissioner Brim Edwards. So I have, I have some questions. Um, I'd also like to make some comments, but I'd like to make my comments after everybody's, all the commissioners have had a chance to ask their questions, just because I think it'll inform my comments um, before, so I'd like to ask for that, um, versus making my comments now before it, I hear the full range of dis discussion. Um, so I'm gonna start with some questions, is that okay? Mm -hmm. um, thank you for being here. I'm absolutely supportive of this. And I've been joining Commissioner Myron and calling for a public health emergency for fentanyl um, since I joined the commission um, last June. In fact, I think one of the first presentations I had as a commissioner um, was a briefing on fentanyl and the crisis, and not a lot has happened since then. Um, so I'm really um, glad that today we have this before us and we're having an opportunity to um, take action and to really set out some specific um, goals around what, as a county, we um, want to do about this crisis in our streets. Um, so I, as I look at the, um, the presentation, and I know we're voting on the Monona County um, resolution. I am concerned about the, um, I, I appreciate your comments that this is a countywide um, resolution and approach, and I appreciate, uh, Director Banks, your um, comments as well. However, when I look at the um, executive order from the governor, and this is, I think, a question for you, um, Jana, that, um, it's very focused on the central city, and I'll just for the record, I'm the central city, the issues relating to fentanyl in the central city absolutely need to be addressed. And they need to be addressed in the rest of the county as well. Um, and I'm concerned that if they're unified command with one of the entities, the, the state, which is a very important partner, focused on the central city. And it, specifically in the um, executive order, it has, it lists the neighborhoods, um, Pearl, Old Town, West End, Goose Hollow, Downtown, Center East Side. Um, but from my perspective, um, and this is a little bit of my, you know, growing up and living on the East Side all my life, um, that, I, you know, what about Montevilla, Lentz, Paula Hurst Gilbert, Hazelwood, Brentwood Darlington, Woodstock, um, there are issues and Fentanyl is, has its grips on many of those neighborhoods as well, and I'm concerned that the focus of the state will then become the focus of the unified command, and the comments about giving over you know, everything to the, the unified command is gonna be driving this. I'm concerned about that. Um, I will say that um, 
in March of 2022, two high school students lost their lives to, to fentanyl over the weekend. Um, they lived on the east side um, and not the inner east side or central east side. Um, you can go to public libraries, you can go to restaurants, you can um, bus shelters, um, across the street from schools on the east side and seeing fentanyl smoked every, <laughs> every day, all hours of the day. Um, so I'm interested in, from the governor's perspective, how this is gonna be um, helpful to neighborhoods that aren't in the concentrated downtown area. And it's not that I'm not concerned about downtown, it's just uh, the impacts on some of the other neighborhoods are, are massive. And I feel like the focus isn't gonna be Countywide is going to be on a very narrow geographic area. Can I jump in really quick? Leah Drebin, Community Safety Policy Advisor for the Chair. I just want to quickly um, jump in and address uh, a few things that you stated. Uh, one, the Multnomah County's uh, emergency declaration does apply to all of Multnomah County, um, as the Chair stated. Uh, but two, um, you were recently briefed on the overdose response plan for the health department. And as you heard, there are many activities and efforts that have been occurring for months and are planned to occur. Uh, you spoke to the, the two youths who lost their lives. A focus on youth is a big part of that. And that applies to all of Multnomah County. For the unified command efforts, the focus is on coordination amongst the state, county, and city. And those systems of coordination will apply countywide. Um, I'll turn it over to you, John. Yeah, I'm just gonna coordination, but if the goals are being set and they're being driven by a focus on the central city only, that's concerning. If we, we might be wanting to deploy strategies countywide, but if the focus of the unified command are, are goals focused on the central city only, then that's not a focus on, a, that's not a countywide focus by this joint command. So I, I'm interested in. Uh, For sure. I, I think I would just start by acknowledging um, the truth of what you said. And I'll say as uh, also a Portland resident who lives in one of the other neighborhoods and has two kids in public school, one starting at Cleveland next fall, uh, fentanyl use like all across the city and the county is is a profound problem and, and really across the state of Oregon. In, in other communities and in rural areas. Um, it, the, the declaration of emergency starting in the central city is not intended to, to take away resources from those other efforts or to say that they're less important, but also we have to start somewhere. Uh, we know that a, a, a lot of drug dealing and high volume drug dealing occurs in downtown Portland. Um, so that's that gives us a reason to if we can't do it everywhere all at once to pick a place to start, and I think that is a place that makes sense. Um, as you said, this also comes out of the work of the Central City Task Force. It was one of their top recommendations, and so it builds on uh, uh, many months of, co of coordination around broader issues in the downtown, and, and so this, this builds on that work. Um, I think to the question of how it will be helpful for people in other parts of the city, I think by um, starting we're, we're only doing it for 90 days. And by starting with something that's, this geographic scope is commensurate with the amount of time that we've given ourselves to show some results. Um, I think what can come out of it is um, 
some positive experience of like, hey, if we are really tight in our collaboration and our work, if we push all our resources together to the center of the table and we um, deploy them in a unified way, then we then we can see success and see what are our best strategies for that. Then that, what we learn from that in terms of metrics and systems of coordination across different data platforms and different, you know, we have different bosses, but we're trying to do the same thing that we can build from that. Um, com coming out of that, I also just think that the positive experience of working together is gonna. Um, that, that, that also will, even before the 90s is up, help us see other opportunities to employ some of those same strategies going forward. And I, so, and I so just wanna address your question from the perspective of the, um, just to clarify, because I appreciate staff answering this, but really, you know, this relates to the questions that, um, the, the conversations that the mayor, the governor, and I had in, in talking about this, um, you know, this coordinate, uh, coordinated response, you know, all of us recognized that um, the fentanyl is not, the fentanyl um, crisis is not something that is just in, in downtown. And um, as we looked at how we can best work together and, you know, frankly, responding to um, a request to do this that came out of the task force recommendations, we wanted to, to coordinate, um, to do this coordination, to do this work in, a, in an area and over a length of time that made sense to really to, to, to use this model to develop the relationships, the practices, the processes, and the coordination that we can, we can grow on. And also, it was important to me. Um, and you know, I heard this from the mayor as well, like the, we don't have this problem just, we don't want this just to be about one single area because we know that this is an issue citywide and this is an issue countywide. So for this declaration, um, for what the county's work is doing, we are not just focused on responses that are only centered in Central City. There will be a lot of response that happens in Central City, but also in terms of prevention, in terms of um, awareness, in terms of um, some of these other components that we are gonna be doing that are a response of our, um, that are in line with our um, illicit substance response. Those are all gonna be countywide. But I think I, I just heard the governor's representative say the focus is on the central, the central side. And I, I mean, the. Portland City Center, and my question is, you know, I know there's been a lot of discussion about the Central City Task Force, but I'd, I'd ask as a East Portlander, where was the East Portland uh, Task Force? If you go to 122nd and Burnside, the issues on that corner rival the issues that are downtown. I mean, uh, when I was the first day, right, first day of school, I was slowly driving by uh, Vestal on 82nd, and somebody was, because I was driving by slowly, somebody thought, I was trying to score a bag, um, and it, it's everywhere. Um, and so I, what I heard you say is that the focus of the first 90 days is on the city center. The dec that's in the area that's designated as emergency. Okay, I, th I think we should have a further discussion from a county of how, if that's the unified command when our resources being applied to it, how we're gonna make sure that we are also tackling the other areas of, this, of the county that need those resources just as much as in those strategies because um, if we spend the next 90 days just on Portland City Center as a unified command and coordinating services, that then isn't going to actually be a county-wide approach. Um, so, so, that, so that, I'll go to my next question. Um, 
the, uh, in our specific um, resolution, I'm looking for like specific actions, and this again would be, if we're gonna have a countywide approach, what, what is our, what are our goals and the actions that we're going to take? Um, I appreciate the um, sort of larger, uh, more general comments about some of our strategies, but I'm, I would look for some, if we're declaring an emergency and we, we know in this emergency, what are the specific actions that we're going to take that are countywide and our specific goals? Um, for us versus the unified command, which is going to be focused somewhere else in the next 90 days. So. Do you want me to answer that? Because oh. I'm seeing some general approaches, but I'm not saying here are the specific actions we're gonna take and here, here are the X amount um, of increases or decreases mm -hmm. in whatever, increases in treatment, decreases in um, overdoses. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, within our overdose uh, prevention and response plan, we have a number of those activities and specific metrics uh, in there. So that's some of the stuff that we um, shared with you. I can kind of give some high level examples within, once again, there's there's activities and metrics within the prevention, harm reduction space, um, treatment and recovery. So take for example, one of the specifics uh, in a prevention space is really decreasing, reducing prescription drug in, in Multnomah County home so we have goals around distributing um, kits that will deactivate um, drugs for example we have strategies uh, we talked about you know high level um, clearly in terms of the uh, prevention campaign for youth that includes strategies that are supporting teachers and educators and those people that are surrounding youth to, to get more information provide technical assistance there's metrics that we measure there around kind of distribution how many people are reached what kind of level of increased knowledge so are there there are those sorts of metrics and, and there are those activities and um, specific metrics within each of them in our corrections health setting, just in using some examples uh, here in the, the name of time where we wanna use those those life course interventions, right, as people are transitioning, which we know is such a key point in preventing overdose deaths, for example. So we wanna really increase over time by 50%, the folks who are, you know, to, to ultimately 100% of people that are leaving Corrections Health that have that plan um, and that connection to resources. So those are some of the specific strategies, metrics, and goals that are underneath, as you mentioned, uh, the higher level uh, goals that I talked about. I'm just curious, I mean, this is just a request that like the overdose um, reduction plan be posted so people have a sense specifically what the county is working towards. Um, in addition, uh, and this is, I guess, a question for the um, chair maybe, or panelists that want to answer, but um, how, I'm looking at the governor's executive order and the mayor's um, order, and they both have a, um, mention and reference public safety, which is obviously a component of this. I'm curious about um, how this um, county action, how it's been coordinated with either the sheriff um, who has law enforcement responsibilities, but obviously the jail and fentanyl's in our jails, as we know, um, and also the DA who has a component, um, which is married with the uh, say public safety uh, entities in the city of 
in the city of Portland and the state police. Yeah. So both the district attorney's office and, and the Multnomah County Sheriff's Office have representatives that are um, part of the unified command. So they are they are part of the leadership team that has been talking and responding to this. Um, I think we you know there was acknowledgement from the state and the. Um, city that they have much more of a larger law enforcement role. In fact, you know, the conversation of the role of OSP for the city is, is one of the main um, part, parts of conversation. Um, but we also recognize that Multnomah County does have that role, even though most of our focus and most of our response is really around the public health. And as, um, as Rachel said, not just our public health division, but like public health across the county. Um, that being said, though, we know that the engagement and the partnership with the district attorney and the um, and the sheriff is very important to this process, and they've been included in that. And were they consulted on the the resolution or our actions? They um, not the. Sorry, go ahead, Leah. Uh, they were informed of the resolution and our actions, um, and they are uh, participants in the unified command process. Our role as a county, as the leading mental health authority and in public health, um, shines through in our emergency declaration, um, as does the city's role as the lead uh, public safety agency in their emergency declaration. And then um, there is also uh, a mention about harm reduction kits, and I'm curious about what that means given the past, um, earlier last year, the distribution of foil and straw. Um, what, how are we defining harm reduction in this particular case, and um, is it, I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, I mean, I think as the overall goal that's been stated is that we want to reduce the the curve of the overdoses that we're seeing during this, right? Like we know that it's going in the wrong direction, and so naloxone is a huge part of when we talk about harm reduction, like um, overdose prevention um, and prevention of death through naloxone is harm reduction. Rachel, if you want to go into any more details about that, you're welcome to. Yeah, thank you for that, Commissioner. I mean, I think that that's certainly a part of it, clearly syringes and whatnot, if you're asking kind of specifically around, are there the additional supplies that were talked about earlier this year? No, we have not made those uh, modifications, whether that's, you know, foil and straws and that sort of thing. So I just want to answer that directly if that's the um, question. But I think, you know, certainly um, all sorts of materials designed for infection prevention, as well as um, naloxone, as well as other sorts of referrals, uh, meeting people where they are for treatment and recovery, um, and other sorts of um, life and, and, and basic safety supplies. Okay. Thank you. Commissioner Segman. Thank you, Chair. Uh, thank you all for your presentation, and uh, welcome back, Dr. Vines. Uh, I'm really excited to have you uh, involved in representing the county. Uh, I am really pleased to see, uh, yet frustrated, that it has taken us so long. Uh, there have been many commissioners that have uh, been supportive of this emergency declaration for years. Uh, and so finally to see the county and the state and the city joining forces, uh, it is past due. So I welcome that. I do appreciate the briefing I received on the overdose response plan. Thank you, Rachel. I think it's, it's very thoughtful and it's very good. I do have a question that when I looked in the APR, uh, currently there is not any funding. So can you talk about, I mean, I think Unified Command, it sounds great, but clearly there's gonna need to be some funding uh, for this program. If someone could address that. Sure, go for it. Okay, sure. So, uh, 
uh, I would say we're running this like a real emergency, the same way we would run a snowstorm or a heat wave or a flood, meaning uh, the uh, policy leaders give direction to unified command, they meet, they um, survey the situation, and they make strategies to respond, and then they place resource requests to, uh, to, to meet the needs of the response, and that's it's the ladder of assistance. So we start with the most local level. What can the city do? That is a resource they don't have or they're exhausted. They go to the county. Can, what can the county do? When the, your resources are exhausted, you come to the state and you fill out a resource request the same way we would for blankets at a shelter if you ran out, and we will run it through the emergency management system, and we will deal it out to the state agency that can meet the need. That's great, thank you, Jonna. So uh, I presume, based on your answer, that that means that there, there is additional funding that we will not have access because of this declaration? Well, one, um, like I said, we're treating it like every other emergency in the state, which means that we don't have a pot of money that's set aside for emergencies, but that we turn to state agencies to meet the needs of the moment, and if that can't be absorbed within their operating budget, then we have to make another plan or we have to come back to the legislature and ask for more money. Um, so no, so there's, I wish that I could say we had um, a slug of money for this, but we're, we're genuinely treating it like an emergency, so we're gonna, we're gonna do our best to act in the moment. Okay, thank you, I appreciate that. I mean, I know that we will be going into our budget season and clearly I think that there'll most likely be some budget ask, but uh, I just wanna make sure that this is a funded uh, mandate uh, and not an unfunded one. Uh, I do have concerns. Uh, I represent the East County cities, Gresham, Fairview, Troutdale, Wood Village, Corbett, the unincorporated areas, and it is, concerning to me that um, Rockwood, one of the poorest neighborhoods arguably in the state, highest concentration, one of the highest concentrations of poverty, very diverse community, uh, that you know these um, substance use disorder and all of these things are happening in our poor communities. And while I appreciate the business community, uh, now all of a sudden it's a problem, when it's been a problem for decades. So I am frustrated that it took whatever it took for us to get to this moment in time, and that's another conversation, but I guess we're here. Uh, and I assume that, um, so this is a 90-day emergency. What will happen to this unified command afterwards? Or will it remain intact or does it go away? We'll tag team. Uh, after the, 90, the expiration of the 90-day emergency, I think the unified command in its current form will dissolve, but a direction to unified command was to establish a system that could continue after the 90 days, so I don't think it'll look exactly the same, but it's not like we're gonna just sprint as fast as we can for 90 days and then say we're done. Thank you, Jonna, you covered what I was going to say, and that is one of the goals of this, is to have a system of coordination for the state, county, and city that we can move forward with long-term. All right, uh, I mean, I appreciate where we are. I think just everyone is very weary and honestly distrusting of government and the promises that we often make that we don't follow through, and so I just wanna make sure that if we're gonna stake this flag, then let's do this, and let's do it in the most appropriate, 
fair way to every geographic area within Multnomah County. So thank you for being here. Thank you for your partnership. Thank you to the state and to the city. And thank you, Rachel, for your leadership as well. Thank you. Um, and I just wanted to mention in terms of the budget, one of the good things about Multnomah County is that we do have a very robust public health budget that um, we are able to pull from as we're talking about some of these things. And, um, and, and because we were already in the process of um, creating this um, illicit substance response plan, you know, some of these are things that we have um, that. But I think there will be, as the Unified Command really, um, I'm looking at you, Dr. Vines, as, um, as the Unified Command comes up with the, the um, more specific goals, metrics, and strategies, demand, you know, needs that might, will come out of that. Um, will be uplifted, you know, to the to the city, the county, and the state. All right, Commissioner Myron. Thank you, um, and thank you to uh, all of you for your presentation today and for your work. Um, I. It is going to I. I will be making comments separately, uh, and I certainly hope we will have enough time to make com full comments. Um, and also speak to the ceasefire, and um, that might require that we go over time. I know the chair just left, but uh, hopefully we will, I can stay as long as it takes, whether it's official, unofficial, however. So I just wanna put that out there, because we always seem to run the clock and never have an opportunity to engage or say the things that we want to fully say. Often that happens. Um, so it's hard to formulate questions for me on because in my view, this resolution says nothing and does nothing. The briefing, I appreciate the effort, um, but it didn't add much more um, for me to understand what we're even trying to do in 90 days. And the, real, the context of the other you know, even the declarations, they weren't mentioned, they weren't described, they weren't put in the briefing, so we have the full context of how even the city, county, state are interacting in any way over this. Um, there are no outcomes or goals stated, so my, I will have comments that will go into that um, and a proposed amendment, but for questions, um, and if I, I, at the very least, I'd like to read them out and then get responses later if that becomes necessary. But, um, you know, I think, Rachel, you mentioned that you engaged with all of us about this crisis declaration. I actually didn't realize that our meeting was about this crisis declaration. I, in fact, I, I think I expressed the thing I felt was missing from what we talked about was any treatment of the fentanyl emergency like it was an actual crisis. So I kind of, that context didn't translate to me. And so I, it, I guess you sound, you, it sounds like what you said is that for the 90 days, the goal is to slow the rate of overdose deaths from fentanyl. And if, if that is true, what is the rate now and what is the rate we want to slow it to? 
Yeah, a couple of things. Um, thank you, Commissioner Myron. Uh, one, so what I said was that we that we engage, I engage with you all on the on the counties and the health departments overdose prevention and response plan. So that is a part of what we'll be bringing forward um, into this and, and, and not the 90 day declaration. So I wanted to clarify that, um, that, that my interactions with you all are really around the health departments um, overdose and, and response plan. And I think uh, in, in terms of specifics, I'd like to get back to you on the specific rate. Um, it's going to take more than 90 days as you know, um, and as, as folks have mentioned. So I think we're going into the 90 days with an approach of ultimately that we wanna use prevention, harm reduction, and treatment, and that part of our um, work in the 90 days with Unified Command is to set more objectives, but do, you know, it's, it's going to take us more than 90 days to reach some of those long-term objectives. So what is the goal of the 90 days? Why was 90 days selected and what is the outcome you want to achieve in 90 days and either you won't achieve it and will extend or you will achieve it and we will sunset. So I will say overall the goal is to have a visible improvement in fentanyl consumption in the Portland Central City and improved access to treatment. Um, those are the overarching goals that we have given to Unified Command for them to develop more specific goals, metrics, um, and make sure that they are measurable and timely to the 90 days. So we expect. Sorry, could you say, could you say it again? What the the goal is? Yes. And that's for 90 days to happen. In 90 days, there will be a visible. These things will occur. Yes, we want to see a visible improvement in um, fentanyl consumption in Portland Central City, and improve access to treatment. So that is the overarching goals that all three governments are giving to Unified Command. Unified Command is, um, as we speak, like they're already meeting to establish um, goals around that and strategies around that that are relevant, measurable, and timely. Um, and and do, do each of you um, feel that that is realistic, that in 90 days we'll, we will see a visible difference in Central City and um, in access to treatment? Commissioner, um, for the Unified Command, they'll be identifying what those metrics look like, so that is to be determined on what the visible difference looks like as they're meeting with leads. And I could tell when we're talking about some of the health department goals, there was some confusion um, there of what goals we're bringing into this. Those are goals that are in alignment of our illicit substance use response plan um, that uh, Rachel briefed you on, that we are bringing as a county to this effort, but there's gonna be unified command objectives um, similar to any other emergency that the unified command will identify and develop strategies on, metrics on, um, and create resource requests for. Usually it feels with emergencies that we don't announce in an advance that we're going to announce an emergency in 45 days after there's been an emergency for years. We don't say in, 90, in 45 days we're going to announce that there's an emergency and when we announce there's an emergency, we are going to then decide for 90 days what we're gonna try to do about the emergency, but we don't really have a, what is it, sorry, this, this just seems really problematic. So my, again, I just, the main question is, what do you expect to see in 90 days? The focus assigned to the, uh, was also a system of coordination coming out of this 90 days that we can sustain long term. 
So for the 90-day emergency declaration, we expect to see a system of coordination emerge. Is that what I can expect and hold to account for this group or for this declaration? Yes. Okay. For right now, I mean, I will say that Unified Command is working and developing additional goals and strategies that are relevant, measurable, and timely. That is, that is the process of Unified Command. Um, that those are going to be developed. So it's, you know, that's why I think today for this 90-day this declaration, we wanted to really focus on the things that the county is doing, not just in the central city, but countywide that are reflective of um, the educational campaigns, the prevention campaigns, the outreach work, the, um, the coordination with our partners for recovery access, the additional harm reduction, right? Because those are, those are broader um, and, you know, we had lots of conversations back and forth about, you know, what are actually the goals and the outcomes and things that were, and, and it's, and it's, and some of those are, it is the job of Unified Command to, to develop and share those. And that's why I've made the commitment to make sure that as, as things are developed, as this work moves forward, that this board is engaged and updated on, on that work that is taking place so that you know what that was happening. So I, I mean, I had no engagement at all. I didn't hear about this resolution was not released until Tuesday evening. Um, so it, again, it is hard to feel engaged or collaborated with in this even up to this point. Um, but getting back to, I guess what I'm trying to sort out in my mind is why the emergency declaration. It seems like a bunch of words that don't actually do anything it's like that don't do anything emergent i guess or achieve anything emergent or do anything we couldn't have been doing for the past like why would we not convene these same people for the past 400 day over the past 400 days to just come up with these plans so that we could be actually working on them now was there is i mean is there something in the emergency declaration I guess that's maybe since there's not a specific thing, it sounds like we can measure at the end of 90 days. Is there a, what is the thing that's different that can be achieved by this 90 day declaration that couldn't have been achieved regardless? I mean, I'm happy to address that. The the issue of fentanyl has been a crisis for a long time. We all know that. What is, was really important to me is that we actually approach this crisis in a unified way that did engage the state, the city, and the county, as well as other partners, frankly, working together to address this. Original um, asks to, to address this in a way that was more of emergency were solely based on the county alone. That isn't sufficient to this crisis. We know that there is public safety. We know that there are um, uh, legal and legislative um, impacts to this crisis. And so, you know, it may have taken longer than people thought to get to this point, but we are at this point where the city, the county, and the state are working in alignment, working with commitment, working with urgency and partnership to address this. And that may be dissatisfying. It's always that dissatisfying when there are emergency situations. But to me, the fact that we do have the commitment from the state and the city to be working together with the county to move forward is incredibly important. And I believe going to be um, 
incredibly impactful in what we're going to be able to do and how we'll be able to move forward, not just from the 90 days, but beyond that. I guess e even though it wasn't presented here, I do have some understanding of what the city and um, state are doing. And actually, I do see some substance in what they are proposing. Again, as I will mention in comments later, I do not see substance in this. I just don't. All I see is a reference to purchasing power. But um, I guess some of the You mentioned some numbers in that they're in the resolution itself, um, and they weren't mentioned during the briefing. But uh, you mentioned the OHSU gaps analysis from 2022. Um, I believe this was updated in November of last year, but maybe that's a different study. Is that a different study, or is that the same study of the gaps analysis in services available? I think that's the same study that the OHSU gaps analysis. So why why were we including the reference to the 2022 version in the resolution? We were keeping it uh, consistent with the illicit substance use response plan that was presented to you all and the figures that you already had. Okay, I guess. Okay, and I'm curious why we are using numbers at all from 2022 when we know that 2023 was way worse and probably January of 2024 is even worse. Um, what, why are we unable to have a number from our community, from our county for suspected deaths involving fentanyl from even last year, the whole, and why we are using 2022. Again, that doesn't seem very emergent to me if we don't have current accurate data and we're using a study from 2022 when in fact it's been updated. Yeah, I think certainly um, we'll continue to use studies and, and having 2022 in that study does provide us uh, valuable information. That's not to the exclusion, clearly, of additional um, data and information that, that we're continuing to compile. Um, and that will be part of our response, as noted in the, the 90 days, in issuing those briefs and, and working towards dashboards. So um, yes, we've used the, the 2022 OHSU study, um, and we're looking at, at current information, uh, and we will continue to do so. And one, one specific number from the 2022 study in the resolution, it mentions that in Multnomah County, an 18% gap in the need for residential treatment beds. That seems, that seems ridiculous on its face. I wonder if the numbers are transposed, that maybe it's an 82% need. Like, I, I don't believe that the need, that we only need like 18% more residential treatment beds than we have. Um, can you confirm that that was accurate? Let me get back to you on that, I think, okay. in that. Sure. All right, I guess, um, oh, I'm curious how our Office of Community Engagement was involved in putting together this, you know, our people with lived experience, DeAndre and his team, how were they involved in creating this um, declaration? 
I can speak to how they were involved in creating the overdose uh, response and prevention plan, so the illicit substance plan, not that. I'm actually just curious about the declaration or how any community partners, um, other community partners, hospital systems, CCOs, CBO, any people with lived experience, anyone outside the county and our, even our county community engagement folks how those people were involved in creation of this emergency declaration. So this emergency declaration is a declaration for the board to do. It is something, it is a legal document that is, that we are, we are taking board action to make an emergency declaration for 90 days. The policies and um, the strategies that inform that are informed on, as Rachel said, the illicit substance response plan that had much more broader um, county and community engagement. So this, but what we're, what, you know, this is a, this is a legal, legally, you know, this was put together by, um, you know, our departments and our county attorney's office to put together a, a um, work of this board to declare an emergency, which is, which is a board action, right? So that it's not it's not the same as developing a policy because developing the policy document, which is the illicit um, substance response plan, that does you know require um, I say require because that does broader community and county engagement. I guess in other resolutions we've adopted, there's been a lot of community. There's been a lot of other work that's been done before it's brought to us um, and engagement and and just my own research about best practices and how declarate what goes into creating emergency declarations. There is a whole bunch of pre-declaration planning and community engagement is one of the key tenets. So I guess I just was curious about that, but um, I have a lot more questions and I'll, I'll, I'll bring them up later, but that, that's sort of the flavor of my questions is why and what. Yeah. I think it might be helpful to remind the board that we did similar um, emergency declarations around COVID. So like thinking of like these are board actions to declare an emergency so that the county as a government entity can respond in a certain way. That, that is I think, a, you know, I think the best possible and comparable comparison to this versus a resolution or a proclamation. Um, okay, so now we have time for board comments. Thank you very much. I appreciate um, all of the work. Um, Commissioner Meyer, we'll start with you. Oh, great. Okay. <laughs> um, let me find my comments. Sorry. Shifting. Uh, Thank you, guys. Um, sorry. Okay. So. After all the time that it has taken and the amount of effort I've personally made to get us to address the fentanyl crisis now devastating our community, I assumed the least we could do was to publicly declare a fentanyl crisis and begin marshalling resources in a combined powerful effort to combat the crisis. I had no idea until I actually read this resolution that it would be crafted to literally be the least we can do period, end of sentence. I feel that this, this is an embarrassment, not a call to action. Nowhere in the resolution is there any commitment to changing a darn thing the county is doing 
to combat fentanyl or any other addiction. No additional resources are contemplated, no new steps outlined to meet the emergency cited. In fact, there's no specific action plan for anything, including arriving at an action plan. Nothing is measurable except the 90 days we somehow want people to think we're using to act to address an emergency. The only specific action the resolution asks us to authorize is to suspend, this is the only action in there, and you can read the resolution, it's on the, the board's website, finally. Um, the only specific action the resolution asks us to authorize is to suspend the county's purchasing guidelines for 90 days. I honestly did not know until I read the resolution how, just how instrumental a role our bureaucratic purchasing requirements have played in allowing fentanyl to take over our community. Imagine if we had just recognized that earlier and changed our purchasing rules. But now that we know, we can and will <laughs> unleash the true power of unfettered purchasing for 90 days of emergency action. It's ingenious. The international cartels will never see it coming. People previously who had been dying on our streets will be dancing on the streets because we finally heard their desperate cries for changes to purchasing. This resolution, I'm sorry, it is pathetic. It is a contrivance and feeble attempt to govern by press release. It will solve nothing and it will do nothing but allow the chair to check a box saying she's declared a state of emergency in Multnomah County for all the people who called for it after volunteering on the Central City Task Force. It demonstrates the depth of the county's seeming allergic reaction to accountability or measurable results. We must do more. First, I'm going to propose the board add something of substance to this resolution. We should use the 90 days to force the health department and the chair to consult addiction esper experts, law enforcement, state and city officials to outline a specific Multnomah County fentanyl action plan, not just loosely coordinate. My amendment will ask for a baseline of some key performance indicators which currently don't even exist. Not even the baseline exists. I'll ask for goals with regard to improvements that are measurable in key performance indicators. And then a dashboard so that the health department, commissioners, and the public can be kept up to date on progress for the 90 days and past the 90 days. There is a whole bunch of stuff we need to do that is missing from this shell of a resolution but maybe that'll help be a start. I will continue to work with the substance use disorder continuum of folks that I've been working with and meeting with regularly. Academic experts, frontline providers, consumers, families, people on the front line to create the continuum of care we need and work toward consensus on where our investments can have the biggest impact Given that this is what's put forward as a resolution, I 
I am even more concerned about the county's ability to fulfill its role as the local mental health authority. And frankly, it was gonna be hard for me to be more concerned than I already was when I asked the state to intervene. I'm gonna share just one story to bring this back to reality and show how divorced from reality this declaration is. Three nights ago, I did a Portland street medicine shift. Virtually everyone we talked to was myself, a harm reduction nurse, um, and a social worker. Virtually everyone we talked to expressed the one thing they wanted more than anything was to get off fentanyl. But we had nothing to offer them. Most folks had not seen a single outreach worker ever. If they did, they said that those people never came back and they never saw them again. As we drove around, we saw one person lying still in a darkened doorway on a deserted street, pulled over to check on him, and with great effort, we woke him up. He was on fentanyl, very likely on his way to dying, with no one around to administer the Narcan. And if we hadn't happened by, he very well may have died. We can't just keep having meetings, declaring emergencies, saying we're gonna coordinate in 90 days and issuing press releases. There are human beings literally dying for our attention. Freeing up our purchasing power will not do a single thing for a single real person. But we won't even be able to show that because we don't have baseline information and are setting no goals for data we collect. The fact that we waited so long to do this and this is what we ended up with is frankly shameful. As I'm, I will vote yes because it is literally the least we can do and I don't think it will avert, overtly cause harm. I hope my colleagues will agree that something meaningful could come of this otherwise waste of time and, uh, and so I will close on one thought and then propose my <coughs> amendment if that's we cannot address a drug crisis on our streets unless we begin by addressing the moral crisis in this boardroom it can't be okay to just pass this baloney resolution go home tonight and pretend we're doing all we can for people who can't help themselves and so I would like to propose an amendment to the uh, to the whatever this is, dec resolution declaring a fentanyl emergency. Um, should I just read it? Or do I need a second? Or uh, do I read it and then ask a second? Well, yeah, you'll have to read into, you, you make a motion to amend it, you get the second, and then we can discuss what your, the details of your motion okay. are. Um, I move to make an emotion, uh, an amendment to the 90-day fentanyl emergency declaration resolution. Just a question of the motioner. Um, is it related, to, are you offering the, the amendments that were circulated from yes. one of them? I'll second it. Thank you. My. Okay, and now you would read into the record the specific okay. amendments setting the, um, the section so that the commissioners and the whole board can follow along with what you're proposing. Great, and these will be posted on my, on my website. So, for section E, uh, I would um, 
let's see, actually, actually I'll add a new, it's a new letter. I'm not gonna make some, there are just some wordings in this that are bad that should be amended, but okay, to new be letter you to add. So you are not proposing an amendment to section E? I am not, but I withdraw my. Thank you. Yeah. New letter to add. Multnomah County will cr create a clear plan for addressing capacity and access issues in residential inpatient treatment, outpatient residential treatment, sobering resource, corrections health, including treatment in jail and sheriff deputy staffing needed to operationalize a 90-day state of emergency. New letter to add, Multnomah County will clearly articulate, articulate baseline data for key indicators relating to fentanyl use in the county including but not limited to, number one, prevalence of fentanyl use broken down by demographic information including age, race, ethnicity, uh, indigenous status, LGBTQIA plus status, housed versus unhoused status, disability status, veteran status. It's not limited to those, however. Number two, the number of existing residential treatment slots currently Number three, the number of current outpatient treatment slots. Number four, the number of partial hospitalization and intensive outpatient slots. Number five, the number, number of recovery transitional housing slots, including short-term, less than six months, medium-term, six to 12 months, and long-term, greater than 12 months. Number six, number of shelter beds currently available throughout the county. Number seven, number of recovery-based shelter beds throughout the county. Number eight, number of overdoses with fentanyl suspected as the sole or a contributing factor in 2023. Number nine, number of deaths with fentanyl suspected as the sole or a contributing factor in 2023. Number 10, Number of individuals receiving naloxone administered by a first responder, including EMS, outreach worker, Portland Fire and Rescue, PPB, Portland Street Response, or uh, anyone else. Number 11, number of successful opioid overdose reversals using naloxone. Number 12, a heat map throughout the entire county of suspected overdose deaths in the past 12 months. Number 13, the number of sobering slots currently available and any restrictions on use. And number 14, the number of individuals started on medication-assisted treatment in the past year. New letter to add, a clearly articulated 12-month plan, 12 plan to address the fentanyl crisis will be presented to the Board of County Commissioners no later than the end of the 90-day resolution period and this will supplement any comprehensive long-term plans around mental health and addiction. Under this fentanyl crisis plan, the minimum deliverables to be achieved by the end of the year, calendar year, include the following. A, the reduction in the number of fentanyl-related deaths in the county by 25%. B, a reduction in the number of fentanyl-related overdoses in the county by 25%. C, an increase in the number of long-term transitional recovery housing beds by 500. D, an increase in the number of residential treatment beds by 250. 
For each treatment bed, it must be accompanied by the creation of one short-term stabilization bed and two recovery transitional housing beds. E, increase the number of sober sobering beds accessible for drop-off or drop-in, drop-off by first responders and other dedicated transport by at minimum 35 beds, and F, increase in the number of recovery-based shelter beds by 250. And to clarify, that would be in the finding section of the resolution? Yes. Just a clarifying question <coughs> about that. Um, it looks like if it was added in that section, it's like the other items in that section, which, um, for example, we're declaring an emergency. It's not just a list of recitals. It's actually right requirement. I, I don't think I understand the question. You, you ask whether it was which section it was in, and I guess my question for you is: Does it matter which section it? It is in um, because it looks it looks like there's actions by the county commission in both the what may be viewed with the, the intro section and then also the resolve section. My answer to that would be multi-part. I'll start with the first part. Um, this is a declaration of emergency under Chapter 25 of the Multnomah County Code. It's not a statement of policy or metrics or a budget document. Um, so it's, that's not its intention. And with respect, Commissioner, you referred to it as baloney earlier. And I wrote this document, so I don't think it's baloney. I think it's a very targeted approach using our county code in accordance with our charter, our county, and our policies to give this board the authority to move forward and address the crisis. So it's not an everything document. It's really narrow. So what, is it, what does it do? What it does what under chapter which is what I tried to get at. So this is, this is a discrete document that declares an emergency for 90 days, suspends purchasing rules, which is a very big move by the county. Our purchasing rules are set forth to allow accountability, um, um, full participation by the community, uh, contracting and procurement. It's very important work that we do. I know it sounds like bean counting, but it is an opportunity. So suspending all of that. Well, it's support, the chair has already suspended those rules and this declaration of emergency supports that. So it also allows the chair in coordination with the city and the state to take all action that is reasonably necessary to respond to the emergency. So this document, I, and I hear your frustration, I understand your frustration, but this is, this is a document to declare an emergency under our county code. And our county code very specifically lists the sort of things we could do. We could do other things, but those tools aren't appropriate to this particular emergency. For example, we could suspend the sale of alcohol. We're not doing that here, okay? We could have a curfew. We're not doing that here. We could create, uh, we could quarantine an area, like if you're thinking there's a, a toxic plume, right? We would quarantine that area so that people aren't exposed to the emergency. So it seems like it's not a good fit for all of the policy goals that you're trying to reach because it's not intended. It, that's not the purpose of this document. This is a beginning, not an end. And it gives us the opportunity to um, use the board's authority under chapter 25 of our code to declare the emergency and then respond to it. To me, the amendments though, 
the amendments, though, all relate to the emergency and the, 90, and the 90 days. Um, so I guess my just question is, does it matter which section, I mean, my fundamental question is, does it matter which section they're in? Well, the, the resolution is to declare an emergency. So that's the resolve section. Okay. So, so are you saying that it's going in the front section or this, the second section? I think the amendment was to include it in, in the finding section. Any further discussion on the amendments? Um, I'm going to support the amendments. Um, as I said before, I'm supporting the underlying resolution. I think it's the right thing to do. Um, I appreciate it, bring, it bringing bot, brought forward. Um, and I appreciate the uh, focus um, in this resolution on the county's approach. And I think it's really important that we add um, some baseline data of what the county's baseline data is and the things that we're working on. So if we said our response is going to be coordinated, but also we're having a countywide approach, I think the only way we're going to know that is if we have the baseline data um, that Commissioner uh, Myron has included in, in this um, declaration. Because I, I am concerned about the stated, the, what was stated as one of the primary goals, which is the visual, the visual, the improvement in visual consumption of fentanyl in public in the central city. Because in theory, we could, we, we could knock that out of the park and say, there's, we've eliminated visual consumption, but it all might have moved to 82nd and 122nd and Foster and Powell. And so I, I feel like that this will give us, um, we don't have to substitute that goal, but this will give us, if we're focused on the things that are countywide and the things that we have control of and also the leverage and the services, whether it's um, treatment, withdrawal management, you know, our budget, our health department budget, our, our focus as um, the local public health authority. T to me, those are totally within the county's wheelhouse, and it sets up what we what we expect from the, the 90 days, and that doesn't, I, th I don't think it dis distracts from the coordinated goals. Um, those can still move ahead, but it also says the expectation from the county is that our county resources are going to be focused on these areas, and we, to do that, we need this baseline data. So I, I think it improves the re resolution. Like I say, I'm supporting the underlying um, met underlying resolution, but I think these um, will make it stronger and also give us an ability to like benchmark whether we need to pivot, whether we need to accelerate um, or, or switch strategies. Um, otherwise, I think it'll be very difficult to measure whether we have been successful. Any other questions or comments? Commissioner Stegman. Thank you, Chair. Um, I will not be supporting this amendment. I do not appreciate receiving uh, an amendment 45 minutes prior to the board. I've stated in the past that if fellow board members cannot give one another the respect to have something at least 24 hours in advance, that that does not give me time to process, to understand, to research the ramifications of any amendments being brought forth. I also don't appreciate uh, not having collaboration and partnership amongst this board, uh, so I cannot support it. Uh, and I think that 
while I think that there are uh, things in the amendment that are valid, but I think that those things are best suited to uh, be hashed out in the unified command structure. And I wanna thank the county attorney for clarifying that this is an emergency declaration. I find it extremely hypocritical that commissioners sat up here and decried the importance of having an emergency declaration and now we have commissioners sitting up here saying no, we don't want one. This is insanity. So I I am just, but I'm I, for the excuse me, Commissioner Myron, I have the floor and you have no right to interrupt me. Commissioner Myron, please control yourself. I have the floor. Control myself, okay. Commissioner Myron, yes. it, it's her time to, to have a comment. I do not support this amendment, so uh, that, that's all the, that I have to say at this moment in time. I will have board comments at the, uh, at, towards the end. Any other comments? I do, but after Jeff, Commissioner Beeson. Um, I very much support a dashboard where we can clearly tell at any point in time what is the baseline data that we're dealing with. I don't know enough information, having received this relatively late, and frankly don't have expertise if this is the right baseline data. So I will not be supporting the amendment. Thank you for that, Jesse. Thank you. Commissioner Myron? Um, I just want to clarify for the record that I said very clearly that I will be supporting the emergency declaration because it is the least we can do, and I have been calling for an emergency declaration for so long, so I am grateful that it exists. I am just saying that it is uh, empty. I hope that it will achieve something in the 90 days that are declared. I hope there will be an opportunity when we, when we talk about collaborating, like I said, no one reached out in advance even about the emergency declaration to talk about it, and so receiving it so late made it difficult to consider amendments as I was working with community members to talk to them about what they might want to see. So that was what was difficult in terms of getting it done quickly uh, or within 24 hours. It was literally impossible. But um, I hope there is an opportunity to work with the uh, command team in order to get to some real action because uh, so far we haven't seen it. And like I said, bringing this back to, you know, if I get emotional about this up here, it is because I guess I see the people dying and I take care of them and I try to support them and do the work on the front line and it is hard day after day to come here and have um, discussions where we're talking about this kind of declaration and um, see no results. So um, I appreciate uh, all of my fellow commissioners uh, comments about the proposed amendment and uh, you know, particularly Commissioner Beeson, and uh, and so I just wanted to clarify for the record, I will be supporting the emergency declaration, as I have said all along. Okay, thank you. Um, I appreciate that. Um, 
I want to clarify, this emergency declaration is to do two things. It is to authorize the chair to take all necessary steps authorized by law to coordinate, respond, and recover from the emergency, and it suspends the purchasing rules in the way that, um, that the, the attorney described. Go ahead. Sorry to interrupt. Um, are we moving, are you ready to roll no, back I'm, to the amendment? This okay. is about the, it, this, okay. is, this is pertaining to the amendment. I say that because um, while I believe the amendment um, contains some really important things as a part of our um, response to fentanyl, our overall response to illicit substances, um, I think that they're best adopted in a separate resolution that adopts board policy and is not contained in an emergency resolution. So, uh, so, and I and I look forward to working on a policy that the board can come that will have for, like more broad engagement with the board, that we all can feel like we are reflective of that, of um, of the uh, information that goes into the policy. And Commissioner Myron, I'm looking forward to our conversation this weekend to see how that can be incorporated. So again, it's not under not um, saying that we don't need to have some of these things. I just feel like this is not the right mechanism or vehicle for it and I do think that as a board we can come up with a policy document that incorporates those and potentially other things. Um, so with that, can we have a roll call vote? And this is on the amendment? A roll call vote for the amendment, thank you. Commissioner Myron? Aye. Commissioner Beeson? No. Commissioner Brim Edwards? Yes. Commissioner Stegman? No. Chair Vega-Peterson? No, the amendment fails. So now we will have a vote on the um, Final comments? Final comments. Now we will have final comments from, we already had Commissioner Myron, so we'll go Beeson, Brim Edwards, and Stegman. Commissioner Beeson. Thank you, Chair. Uh, I never know what I'm gonna say at these things, so here, here we go. Um, the, uh, I feel like one of our country's issues, we have many, is that we are so ahistorical. I feel like when we think about these kinds of uh, systems, treatment, uh, mental health, housing even, their infrastructure, and we have not been funding this infrastructure for over 50 years. When you take a drug like fentanyl and you plop it in a country that has disinvested in public housing, mental health treatment, and substance treatment since Ronald Reagan and the Democrats approved back in the 80s, when you take fentanyl and drop it in a state that has uh, the highest addictions rates already and the lowest funded addiction treatment system, I, I'm not surprised we have what we have. When you drop a drug like fentanyl in a county that has underbuilt housing, in large part because of banks and financing, and also a special flavor of white liberal nimbyism, I, th I am not surprised we find ourselves in this moment. And I believe that we are, we are ignoring history out of the impatience that American society has around this ahistorical approach to everything. And I recognize that people are incredibly frustrated by the daily evidence of the failures of our society to care for one another. I 100% get it. But I also feel like it's incumbent upon us to move beyond a sense of blame for the current situation and into what we see as the possibilities for the future. I recognize that 90 days is not a lot of time but the opportunity to focus on a geography, to focus on a time-bound uh, opportunity, and to say we are going to attempt to ignore the lines of our jurisdictions like we've never done before, I think is a worthy exercise to try. We will not solve it. 
if we have a half a billion dollars of gap in addiction treatment stuff, we're not gonna solve it in 90 days. If we uh, just two or three weeks ago sat in here with the opportunity to bring treatment beds online in 11 months, which is the fastest we've ever been able to do it, and what we primarily heard was, was from neighbors who were against the siting of this in their neighborhood, we are not gonna solve it in 90 days. We have a lot of work to do, but I believe that the opportunity to go beyond the pettiness of pointing fingers is an opportunity that we should take. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Brim Edwards. Thank you. Um, I want to start by saying that I'm, as I mentioned before, that I'm supportive of this emergency declaration um, and also uh, want to acknowledge the commissioners who've asked it before. And, um, Commissioner Stegman, I'm, I'm sorry that I um, overlooked your call previously. So thank you also for calling attention. I know that um, this is an issue in East County, um, just like it's an issue in East Portland. Um, I think we need to get serious and focus about our tactics and strategies that help us reduce overdoses and deaths from fentanyl. This county can no longer sit back and allow a 533% increase in overdose deaths um, and watch it ravage our community and take away lives of our neighbors, our friends, and our family members. It's important to recognize what is serious and what's on fire at our feet, and fentanyl is that fire at our feet. This is the right step in the right direction, and I also know that going forward we can make it better. Fentanyl is ruining lives every single day in every neighborhood, not just in downtown and not just in the central city. In every corner of our community, we have people in deep need of sobering withdrawal management, detox, uh, residential treatment. I'm supportive of this emergency accident action because it signals across the community that during an emergency, everything is on the table. And that's a perspective I expect to see the city, county, and state to, to work on in regard to what is possible um, in the next 90 days. I want to thank the governor, the mayor, and the county chair for um, bringing, bringing this coordinated action forward. And whatever you need from me to ensure its success, um, please ask, I'm ready to help. I'd also ask that uh, we have a standing agenda item on this on every board meeting for the next, uh, the next 90 days so that we can understand what goals are being set, we can ask questions, we can understand what the benchmarks are. Um, I hope that, um, next week um, or the following week, Commissioner Myron, you bring a resolution that contains the other, um, the items that were in your amendments because I think um, they're the right step to set a baseline of whether we are successful or not. And um, just, I also want to acknowledge the, the lateness of the amendments and, and I also want to acknowledge that we, um, I got a copy of our county order from a reporter, um, not from in just the last two days. So. As this has been rolled out, I think um, our intentionality about sharing information and collaborating and having conversations about it, because I, I know we all care and want to see something different, um, but I would hope that we um, would count it as an emergency and not just continue having routine meetings with agenda items about routine issues and not be continuing to discuss something that today we've all said, or I think we're about ready to say, is an emergency in our community. Um, I'm going to repeat my ask and um, just point out that this emergency declaration is be applied across the entire Multnomah County. Um, so while much of the recommendations by the other agencies are centered on the recovery of downtown, I'm supporting this because there is a com commitment for the county's actions, which are very important here, um, be applied across our jurisdictions and because I want to ensure that we don't just move a problem from one geographic area to another as has historically happened in this community. So when unauthorized camping moved from downtown 
guess what? A lot more of it appeared in outer southeast Portland. And that's not a solution to the problem. So let's not have, let's not declare victory if we're just moving it from the, the issue from one place to, to the next. Um, East Portland and East County are not willing, are not prepared to receive a drug trade pushed out of downtown and into neighborhoods already struggling with fentanyl use, livability, and public safety issues. I think the best way to ensure this effort doesn't play whack-a-mole and claim a false success is by ensuring the county is front and center in securing treatment, detox, and equity across the community for services. And that we see the following in a measurable way, and this gets to the, hopefully the re resolution we'll consider with actually um, measurements across the county that we'll see in a measurable way in relation to fentanyl. Fewer deaths, fewer overdoses, increased treatment, increased withdrawal management services, and increased arrests and prosecutions of drug dealers. If we can do that, I think we'll then be able to say this just wasn't a press release or a press conference with a photo op, that we actually have done something to address the emergency, and I stand ready to um, help the city and the county and the state um, as we move forward. Thank you. Thank you. Commissioner Stegman. Thank you, Chair. I think one of the easiest things to do is to criticize and blame others. And I think what's really hard is to roll up our sleeves and do the work that's required of us when people are dying on the street. And I think that this emergency declaration, although it is late, it is uh, better than never. I look forward to the Unified Command. Uh, looking at uh, what Commissioner Myron has suggested, I think that the agenda uh, amendments that she put forth, I think there are things in there that are certainly valid, and I hope that the Unified Command will present us a fentanyl action plan with metrics, with key indicators and goals, and I look forward to seeing that plan, and I fully support this emergency declaration. Thank you. Um, so I appreciate the conversation today. I will say, I think we have to be, as a board, incredibly aware of how our, the words that we use, the way that we phrase and characterize things, that the fact that we have on staff and on um, our staff here at the county and staff that is working on these things. There have been at least dozens of people across the city and the county and the state who have been working to move this forward over the last um, several weeks. And there are hundreds of people who are um, going to be participating in this 90-day fentanyl response. And I say um, hundreds, it may be more than that. Because not only do we have our staff, but this 90-day um, fentanyl response plan incorporates the outreach workers that are happening, our law enforcement partners, our safety partners. It incorporates our service providers. It incorporates staff um, from departments all over the county. All of these things are, these are all people who are gonna be working as hard as they can with the coordinated mission of responding to our fentanyl crisis. A lot of that work is gonna be having, happening in Central City, but a lot of that work will also be happening um, throughout the county as, we, um, as we've discussed earlier. I wanna say, I have lived in the Hazelwood neighborhood of East Portland for the last 18 years. I still live there. That is where, um, I've had my children, I've been raising my children. When we talk about the, the max stop and the, the situation that's happening at 122nd in Burnside, that is my max stop, that's where I get off the max. I am acutely aware of the needs of, of East Portland, um, East County. I have been representing that part of our county for the last 12 years in one capacity or another, whether it's a state representative, a county commissioner, or now as county chair. 
Fentanyl is a crisis that is impacting people all over. It's impacting people in ways that are unfortunately oftentimes deadly, but it is our job as elected officials, it is our job as governments working together to be responding to this in ways that um, recognize the human toll that fentanyl has, the humanity of the people experiencing it, and, and reacts with both compassion, a public health focus, um, but with a demand that we have the data, the metrics, and the outcomes that we really need. That is the intention that I have for the county in the response that we will have both in this 90 days and our overall fentanyl response. I think one of the things that is really important is to recognize that we have a downtown central city area that is that has had a huge impact since COVID in, COVID in terms of um, um, economics, in terms of viability in terms of the safety that people feel, right? That part of the reason we are doing this is the, is the, um, the recognition of that. But again, that is not, especially for this county, that is not the focus of what we are voting on today. This is about the fentanyl crisis overall, the way that we are gonna be working and coordinating together, and the plans that we're gonna go as we expand that. So I wanted to just, um, I wanted to just share this. I do look forward to working with the board as we create policies um, that are more expansive of this and that will you know, include all of our partners, both internal and external to the county to do that. Um, so I appreciate the conversation today. I appreciate all the public um, testimony and um, Marina, can we now have a roll call vote? Commissioner Myron? Aye. Commissioner Beeson? Yes. Commissioner Brim Edwards? Commissioner Stegman? Aye. Chair Vega-Peterson? Aye. The resolution is adopted. R2, Budget Modification DCA 01724, reallocation, Reallocate Capital Funds for a Yeon Chiller Project. So moved. Commissioner Stegman moves. Commissioner Myron seconds. Approval of R2. Good morning. Good morning. Is it morning or afternoon? I think it's afternoon. It is afternoon. <laughs> Good afternoon. Uh, my name is Greg Hockert. He, him, his pronouns. I'm the assistant director for planning, design, and construction for facilities. With me today is Becky Zhu. She's a, a Department of Community or County Assets Senior Budget Analyst and newly promoted, fairly newly promoted, Christina Palmerke. She is our uh, project delivery program manager in which her teams will be managing the work of this, uh, of this that will result of this budget modification. Today we're here to seek board approval of DCA budget modification 1724 reallocation of $950,000 of capital funds for Eon Chiller project. Um, our Eon, uh, we have two buildings in the complex Eon and Eon Annex, excuse me, and um, within that building, there's two large chillers that provide chilled water. Those chilled water uh, is providing cooling for the building during the summer months, warm months. Those chillers were installed in 1998. Um, at, the, at the time, they're starting to approach life cycle. Uh, one of those two chillers has failed, and we just realized that the manufacturer is no longer uh, making any parts, replacement parts for that. So it moved from a preventative maintenance project to now an urgency, we have to get the chillers replaced. Um, 
in that um, we don't have time in our normal budget cycle because of the long lead times with the chillers and the chiller parts to wait for our standard budget cycle. So this project has moved to a heightened level of urgency in order to get the equipment in place and, uh, um, and operating before our warm months. We're optimistic with this project starting now that we'll have it implemented and all working in full redundant chiller operation um, by early um, summer, late spring. Um, as part of this project, we're out of the two chillers, we're replacing both of them because there's a risk of the second one failing. So we wanna make sure we're comprehensive and provide redundancy for both the building and provide comfort for the occupants and staff that work in the, out of these two buildings. Um, we are, at this particular point, we're not requesting new funds. We're just reallocating existing project funds from three projects that were, uh, that realize unspent expenses that we can combine together in order to uh, supply the $950,000 uh, to support this project. I hand it over to Becky. Thank you, Greg. Um, for record, my name is Becky Zhou. I'm senior budget analyst for Department of County Asset. I use she, her pronouns. So as we know, FIN 15 requires board approval for reallocation of facilities capital project funds over $100,000. So in this budget modification, we are requesting to reallocate 275,000 from Justice Center Clean and Seal Exterior Project, 300,000 from Justice Center Replace Fire Alarm Panels Project, and 375,000 from Justice Center Replace Generator Paralleling Switch Gears Project. In total, we are requesting 950,000 be reallocated to Eon Chiller Project. So since all these projects are in Capital Improvement Fund, Program Offer 78205, Facilities Capital Improvement Program, this action will not change the total Capital Improvement Fund budget. I'm going to pause here for any questions or comments you may have. Thanks for your time and consideration. Thank you, is that the whole presentation? Yeah. Okay, great. Um, did we have any public testimony on this item? Yes, Charles Johnson. Thank you. For the record, Charles Bridge Crane Simka Johnson, and it is uh, unfortunately a little bit painful to be here for the uh, <coughs> competence of this item. We've identified uh, an emergent problem. Chillers are no longer available, and we've allocated money to address the problem uh, out at 190th uh, for some air conditioners, for some county employees, and maintaining the temperature in that building. We just spent over an hour talking about people dying at the rates of dozens per month, and we didn't have any allocation of money about that because we're gonna look at our, gaze at our navels for 90 days, and then at the end, the prophecy that was spoken here at this dais will be fulfilled. We will say that there were zero overdose deaths in the hot spot, and overdose deaths outside of Central City are up 20% and we'll have no plan to help those people. That's what's gonna happen. You've alluded to it in some of your comments. Uh, I go through down, you know, 
TriMet is a little bit of a foobar right now with Gateway's zone being closed, but uh, I end up in both areas. Uh, I weekly go to get a street routes, uh, walk past, sometimes there's a lot of open or fentanyl use right between street routes and the Society Hotel, sometimes there's not. But I can tell you where it's heavier, it's actually, we've already, we're having a 90-day emergency about a process that's already in effect. So care about the addicts, what you've actually voted for in the prior item with no money, as opposed to this $950,000 item, is to help protect commercial landlords' value so that they don't have to look at visible substance use in a way, maybe we deserve it closer to our homes outside of the central city concern. I don't know how the population breaks down, what percentage of the population lives adjacent to this hyper-enforcement, hyper-help zone that we're supposedly going to have for 90 days. But uh, as constituents, uh, it's weird to see a situation where we're like, eh, chillers, difficult, complicated, bam, we got a $950,000 solution, got to get it ready. Uh, people dropping uh, off from overdoses, uh, well, we'll look at it for 90 days, uh, we'll think about some of their adverse childhood experiences coming up, but we don't have a mental health system that works, so we can't really address your adverse childhood experiences. Uh, you know, obviously this item, I, I don't know, I mean, you maybe could increase public confidence in yourselves by voting no, that we discovered that human beings existed for millions of years without air conditioning and the facility could operate without air conditioning and that $950 million needs to be invested in purchasing naloxone and Narcon and paying some people to walk around with it, um, increasing the size of Portland Street response of, with uh, $950,000 from the county. We'll see what happens. Thank you. We'll go to the board for any questions. Uh, Commissioner Grim Edwards. No questions. Commissioner Stegman. No questions. Commissioner Myron. Commissioner Beeson. No, no questions. All right. Thank you, Marina. Can we have a roll call vote? Commissioner Myron? Aye. Commissioner Beeson? Yes. Commissioner Brum Edwards? Aye. Commissioner Stegman? Aye. Chair Vega Peterson? Aye. The budget modification is approved. All right. Um, so that brings us to the, the end of our um, agenda. Now we have time for discussion on non agenda my matters. I'll call on the commissioners by district to see who has any items to discuss. I'll start with Commissioner Stegman. Thank you, Chair. Uh, I want to thank all of you for remaining here for so long. I apologize uh, that we kept you. Uh, so I have short comments regarding your testimony. And again, I want to appreciate your presence and your love and your caring for our community and the world. The current conflict in Gaza has led to an alarming loss of innocent lives with Palestinian civilians bearing the brunt of the violence. Every life lost is a profound tragedy. These are not just statistics as we've heard. They are people, mothers, fathers, children, brothers and sisters who dreamt of a future filled with hope and promise. It is incumbent upon us to stand together and demand an end to the violence that has claimed too many innocent lives. Ceasefires are not just about diplomatic negotiations. They are about preserving the sanctity of life. Every moment we delay in calling for a ceasefire is a moment lost 
a moment that could have been used to protect the lives of civilians caught in the crossfire. It is our duty as global citizens to speak out against injustices that are occurring. Together, we can build a future where every individual, regardless of their background, can live in peace and dignity. Chair and fellow board members, I urge you to join me in calling for an immediate ceasefire in Gaza. Let us stand united in our commitment to peace and the protection of civilians. I respectfully request that the Board of Multnomah County Commissioners adopt a ceasefire resolution and have it scheduled for either our February 22nd or February 29th board meeting. I will be circulating a draft resolution and welcome your thoughts, your input, and your collaboration. Thank you, Commissioner Myron. Thank you. Um, I uh, also um, want to again thank everyone who uh, attended today, who watched uh, online, participated online, is still here today, who is watching now, um, uh, particularly um, to people who sh shared their personal experiences, which um, I, I can't imagine how hard that was for you. So thank you. Um, I have some comments about uh, ceasefire, about Holocaust Remembrance Day, and about a di and the concept of dialectic. Let's start with dialectic, and the, the definition there is any systematic reasoning, exposition, or argument that juxtaposes opposed or contradictory ideas and usually seeks to resolve their conflict. It's a method of examining and dis discussing seemingly opposed ideas or ideas that get characterized as opposed and recognizing that maybe they're not so opposed or that maybe it's possible to hold multiple truths. Over the past weekend, we honored International Holocaust Day of Remembrance. There was not a public board meeting last uh, the, the week prior and so I wanted to mention the Day of Remembrance today. Making comments about the Holocaust is always hard never so fraught as now. But during the times that are hardest, that's when we need to speak up because fear and hate cannot prevail. I wrote some personal comments and this was right after the Hamas attack on Israel and it was before the Netanyahu government's shameful, horrific response. At the time, I was struck by the fact that the most horrific terrorist attack in history had happened to the people of Israel, and people shied away from calling it out. Anti-Semitism, acts of anti-Semitism worsened. And anti-Semitism, I wrote at that time what I wish could be understood, 
And I hope you'll bear with me because I think, again, I go to the concept of dialectic and putting, putting things together. So Anti-Semitism is the oldest form of bigotry and hate in existence with attempts not just to oppress but to systematically annihilate the Jewish people since the inception of the religion over 5,000 years ago. Israel came about as the tiny spot of land that the survivors of the Holocaust could go to and finally be safe from the threat of annihilation, and it displaced people who were living there and had been living there for generations. Believing that there should be a small Jewish homeland, please, I, I just ask you to listen, and then I'm happy to talk to you after this and engage. Um, believing there should be a small Jewish homeland and that innocent people living there should not be targeted for barbaric violence or murder or taken hostage by a terrorist organization dedicated, dedicated to the annihilation of Israel and the Jewish people, that doesn't seem like it should be a stretch. And so I don't know why people are, are negative. Nor should it seem like a stretch to acknowledge that the Israeli government, to be distinguished, I believe, from the majority of the Israeli people, for decades has committed apartheid and systematic acts of oppression that have resulted in the dehumanization, suffering, and death of innocent Palestinians who too deserve a homeland and to live in peace. And the current prime minister has been the prime arbiter of policies that have systematically resulted in this dehumanization and suffering. I believe the current atrocities perpetrated by the Israeli government in supposed defense of Israel are war crimes. This is a dialectic. To me, all of these things are true and none of it going back to Holocaust Remembrance Day, none of it diminishes the horror or the impact of the Holocaust. In fact, it is more important now than ever before to say never again as, and never again for anyone, as was so brilliantly stated earlier today, and I appreciate, I appreciated that, that comment. I'm Jewish, I'm not religious, I don't know what I believe about God or spirituality, you know, even though I'm almost 60. Uh, <laughs> but I do hold a Jewish identity in my heart. It's in my blood, and it does feel threatened every day. It's hard to actually be speaking here, here today. Um, because in many of our lifetimes, there was the most successful attempt at genocide in history in the truest, purest, and most horrific sense of the word. And that is not saying that it doesn't, that there is not other horrific genocidal um, attacks on human beings, fellow human beings, to this day and before the Holocaust. But over six million Jewish people were ripped from their homes, herded into cattle cars, sent to death camps where they were systematically murdered through murder, through poisonous gas, perfected for that purpose. They were the subjects of horrific and unspeakable scientific experimentation. Their possessions and property were stolen, still in the hands of those who oppressed them or st simply stood by complicit. The fillings in their teeth were extracted and melted down for the gain of their murderers. 
and there was the realistic potential for the obliteration of this entire race, religion, ethnicity, whatever we call it. <laughs> so I hold in my heart all the lives lost to the violence and hatred in the Holocaust, including the over 20 family members of my own family. I ask that as we sit here today witnessing atrocities, we can also honor and remember the Holocaust for Holocaust Remembrance Day. And it leads to my own personal resolution about the situation in Israel, Gaza at the present moment. I'm gonna substitute instead of whereas is, I'm just gonna say I, I believe. Um, and uh, if there is going to be board consideration of a ceasefire, um, I look forward to the collaboration in what, in what that can look like. I believe in peace in the Middle East and in a two-state solution. I believe all human beings should be treated with dignity and humanity and have a right to live in peace. I believe the government of Israel, particularly the Netanyahu regime, has oppressed and systematically dehumanized the Palestinian people living within its borders and engaged in actions that have resulted in horrific, horrific suffering, pain, and death over decades through their direct policies and actions. I also believe that Hamas, since its election to officially represent the people of Gaza in 2006, has systematically oppressed, repressed, dehumanized, and failed to support the Palestinian people living within its borders. I believe that both the government of Israel over the past two decades and the government of Gaza over the same time period have deliberately fostered hatred, dehumanization, oppression, and destruction of the people they deem other. And they have been unintentionally, perhaps, but complicit in amplifying the circumstances that have led to the current war. Hamas, I believe, is a terrorist organization, it is, a, it's a terrorist organization dedicated to the annihilation of Israel and the Jewish people, and on October 7th, they committed an act of war on Israel. They intentionally targeted innocent people, babies, youth, elders, in a massacre of unprecedented proportions in Israel, characterized by deliberate and extreme barbarism and violence. They took hundreds of hostages. At that point, I believe Israel was entitled to defend itself. I believe, is, I, I'm not sure, again, and I would love to have a conversation with you about this, <laughs> instead of fought, like just saying, you know, oh my God, we're, we're gonna just be against each other, because I don't know why, so, Okay, anyway, so but, and it will I, be after. I understand that there are, that I will be available after yeah. the meeting. Um, but I believe, but nothing justifies the horrific violence, destruction, suffering, and lack of basic humanitarian support wrought on the innocent people of Gaza in response to the attack. I believe the vast majority of the Israeli people and the vast majority of Palestinian people do not subscribe either to the apartheid policies of the Israeli government or the genocidal views of Hamas. I believe the vast majority of people living in Israel and Palestine want simply to live their lives and raise their families in peace. And that cannot happen while both sides continue to live in existential fear borne out 
by the actions of those in power who ironically I don't believe the majority of their own population support. In a situation that feels hopeless, fraught, and so entangled with history, mistrust, misunderstanding, persecution, anger, and existential threat, it is hard to imagine a path forward. And it's all too easy to imagine a path spiraling into the abyss of hatred and destruction that has characterized our history. But we must find the path forward. It has to be us. To do that, we need to sort of stop arguing over words. Even such important words are incredibly important. And stop arguing over important, even important words, genocide, ceasefire. I hear one side say, if you say ceasefire, I'm not even going to listen to you. I hear another side, if you don't say ceasefire, I'm not even going to listen to you. I would like to drill down to meeting, to meaning, and to the heart of our individual and collective humanity. Like I said, I believe in peace in the Middle East and a two-state solution. I believe all human beings should be treated with dignity and humanity have a right to live in peace. I believe, dialectic, I believe that Hamas committed an atrocious and unforgivable act in their attack on Israel and seizing hostages, and it does not justify the horrific and heinous harm, suffering, and death that the Netanyahu government has inflicted on the innocent people of Gaza. Genocide. I stand for it's the uh, word I'm going to ask that everybody hold. Everybody and I'm almost done. I appreciate the grace. Okay, please be respectful. Yeah, thank you. I stand for an immediate end to the violence and unrestricted restoration of humanitarian support and aid to the people of Gaza. That must be followed by the immediate and unconditional return of the Israeli hostages. The next steps are less clear. In my perfect world, there will be an end to hostilities, restoration of humanitarian support, aid to the people of Gaza, and support, and return of the Israeli hostages followed by facilitated negotiations for a two-state solution in the region that neither side is going to find ideal. If facilitation can't lead to resolution among the parties themselves, then an enforceable two-state solution should be imposed by the international court and commitments should be made about ensuring the states will be protected. Excuse me. Only a true two-state solution and a meaningful peace to start can enable the people of Gaza to rebuild, heal, and thrive, and the people of Israel to live in stability, security, and peace. Thank you. Commissioner, Commissioner Beeson. Thank you, Chair. Um, I don't believe that a people are always their government or a government is always their people. As a black man, I think, as a black gay man, it's very clear to me. I recognize, um, you know, uh, the opening line of the book, White Sargasso Sea, says when, when trouble comes, people close ranks. And so the white people did, but we were not in their ranks. I don't know much about the ranks that have uh, come up uh, in, this, um, in these last many months, but I know I don't always disagree with the tactics. I know I'm not a foreign policy expert, uh, but 
I believe the evidence is compelling enough that, um, and the people are, are asking us uh, to do something, uh, and that's to support a ceasefire. So uh, I, I look forward to working towards a resolution that hopefully has unanimous support on the board. Thank you. Commissioner Burm Edwards. Thank you. Um, Commissioner Stegman, I'm looking forward to reviewing your uh, draft uh, resolutions um, and having a, uh, can you hear me? I think it's when I move back. It's, it's on, I just, when I move back, it moves away. So I'm looking forward to reviewing your uh, proposed resolution. I also think the commission could potentially consider, as we did with our reaction to the Hamas Terrorist Act on Israel, that we issue statements um, individually or you know, however we do it as just another, as another alternative um, because I also think it um, allows us to share. Um, we all bring different perspectives and backgrounds um, to our work and so sometimes, as, as I say, as it was with the uh, terrorist attack that we issued our own statements. Um, I wanna let people know today that um, I heard you um, and have also, um, over the last several months, borne witness to the immense suffering that's happening in Gaza. I can, I support an immediate negotiated ceasefire that also ensures the return of all hostages. In October, I voiced my sympathy for the people of Israel who had just suffered a terrorist attack unlike anything we'd ever seen. My outrage at terrorism remains firm. I call on Israel to listen to the pleas of the president and other world leaders and many community members to conduct this war according to the laws of war and to protect against civil, civilian deaths and civilian targets. I also um, support humanitarian aid being provided through many different channels. This aid needs to reach the suffering and the refugees of the war zone need to know that they, where they can go to be safer. So with that, I look forward to um, what you may pose, and I also think we should potentially consider um, offering our own, our own statements that reflect our, our, our understandings and um, the varied viewpoints we bring. Thank you. Thank you. So I appreciate everyone who um, stayed for this whole um, board meeting. I think you, if you hadn't already, you got to see what the county board does in action. Um, but, I, but I mostly appreciate the fact that you are here because you care deeply about um, the situation that is happening in Gaza, the incredible suffering and harm that is happening there, and you are calling on um, your local elected officials to take action. We have received so many different um, contacts from our community around this issue, ranging from people who don't want us to do anything, who say it's not our place as a local government to, to even comment on international issues, to those, several of whom are in the board now, who wants us to do a ceasefire, immediate, a ceasefire resolution immediately. I will say that, um, to Commissioner Beeson's point, that a, that a person's um, you know, government is not their re representative of them. I think of um, first coming onto this board um, and then what happened when Trump was elected and the way that we stood up and spoke out um, on things that we disagreed with that were happening at a national level that had impact here. And I think that we, as, as local leaders, um, need to have that same kind of um, statement and that do that same kind of work and things that are deeply affecting things, whether they're here in Multnomah County or, or happening internationally. Um, what is happening right now um, 
we know that the conflict that's happening is most impactful, of course, to the people um, in Gaza. We also, but I want to recognize that it is having impact to people outside of that region, including here in Multnomah County, in Ryzen. Um, anti-Muslim, anti-Palestinian, anti-Semitism that is happening and that is being deeply um, impacted for people here. And I wanna recognize that because that is, it is the pain that we have um, for our community, for our community members. It is also the personal pain of people who have um, family and loved ones um, in Israel and Gaza that were impacted both by the attacks on Hamas, on uh, attacks by Hamas on Israel, um, the um, ongoing hostage situation, as well as the continued tens of thousands of people that are that have died and are continue being killed in Gaza right now. So I also would support um, working as a board to come together with a ceasefire resolution that we all can support. That is my goal. I, I understand we can do personal statements. My um, my hope would be that we would be able to find something that we all can support. Um, and look forward to that work working with all of you on this today. So again, thank you all for coming here. I'm also. Um, happy to engage in, in further conversations with this, but appreciate the um, the way that you are using this um, public process, this public meeting to really um, show your, your concern and your deep passion and commitment to seeing, um, to seeing justice. So thank you. With that, we are adjourned. <laughs>